You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 508. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Lake Burton, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 2nd of February, 2022. In today's episode, a new report finds that the South African Civil Aviation Authority disregarded its own regulations in the fatal crash of one of its Cessnas. A Chinese Airlines freighter plows into cargo containers while taxing on a snowy apron at O'Hare. More news and your feedback. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 508 is ready for pushback. Thank you. That was Radio Roger Stern, an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City! All right, welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and your great feedback. And joining us today from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier, 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 and aviation enthusiast. Thank you. Uh, Spreadsheet master and our producer director is Liz Piper. Hi, everybody. Hello. Great to see you, Liz. And also joining us today from his home studio in the air capital, low and slow pilot. It has nothing to do with altitude. It has everything to do with his brain capacity. <laughs> Old airplane enthusiast and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry, it's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff and Liz. Glad to be back with you guys. Awesome that you're here with us again. And uh, so right now, it's just uh, the three of us. Well, that, the two of us on camera now. Liz is, has, uh, has gone dark uh, but she's still in my ear. And I'm over here on clean feed, though. Oh, my can't goodness. Can't get away from me. I need to turn your volume down on clean feed. My goodness. Okay. Thank you, Liz. I hear you loud and clear. All right. Uh, we are going to hopefully have uh, another one of our hosts joining us at some point soon, uh, Dr. Steph. But uh, Captain Nick, uh, we are happy to say, we talked about it on, in the last episode, he was having an issue with his heart and uh, he was in the hospital and uh, we're happy to say now that he is out of hospital and uh, recovering at home. And uh, so we're, we're so happy to hear that. And uh, thank you all out there for all of your thoughts and prayers and well wishes for Captain Nick. And uh, just wanted to let you know, Nick, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, two weeks off, that's it. That's as much as we're going to allow. So hopefully we'll have him back with us next week. And of course, another installment of his awesome old pilot's plane tales. So anyway, uh, Godspeed and get well soon, Nick. And with that, we're going to go ahead and move on to some aviation news. 
stand by for news. Okay, we're going to start off today's show with a whopper. Uh, there was a China Airlines 747-400 cargo jet uh, that had landed at Chicago O'Hare in not VFR weather, uh, in a kind of snowy, blizzardy kind of weather, low visibility, that kind of thing. And uh, let's uh, let's take a look at some uh, video that was captured of it uh, arriving at the cargo ramp. Okay, here we go. Yeah, made I don't... quite an entrance there. Yeah, here we go. I, it's uh, really kind of going at quite a quick pace, I'd say. And oh, shoot. Um, hmm. The number one, the le full far left engine is. Uh, collecting baggage carts and all kinds of stuff and uh I, I like is, the guy in the tug backing up fast. yeah he was getting out of the way <laughs> a tug driver or truck driver there um and so now we're looking at some video of uh the aftermath and uh ooh, that number two engine <laughs> looks like it took Almost as much of a beating as the uh, number one. There's the far left number one engine. Lots of damage with that thing. That's the thing that ate at least two of those baggage carts and spit them out. And I don't know what this is. Oh, that's something to do with this uh, video anyway. Let's let's watch this again. What do you think? I think it's worth watching again. Yeah, let's I think it's, uh, you know, one thing to note is as it, it kind of passes through that first row of carts, then it just starts turning that second row of carts into, uh, it almost reminded me of like, when somebody has a down pillow and they mm -hmm. puff it open and you yeah, see all the feathers come out the, the backside, feathers fly. <laughs> it just, the engine eats one of those carts like it's a pillow and yeah. shoots a bunch of junk out the back. I agree. That's a good analogy. Uh, here, let's watch it again. But I, I was kind of impressed with how quickly or how fast this thing is going in these conditions. I, so, yeah. Look at here that. It comes right here. Boom. Ooh, that's the first and one. And you see that's... it roll up. It like rolled over the front of the cowling into the engine. Yeah. Mm, that is not pretty. So I apparently they speeded it up, but if you look at the countdown clock, it's going normal speed. Yeah, normal He's speed. Liz was saying fast. that she thought it was like sped up video, but uh, if you look at the clock and the thing, it's like normal speed. Anyway, I think uh, I was reading a comment uh, that said that uh, they apparently had lined up with the left uh, edge lights of the taxiway, not, I guess, thinking that that was the center line of the taxiway. And, but here's my question, uh, to all of you big jet drivers out there, uh, or really any pilots, uh, if you're, if you're flying along or taxiing along and you're looking out your window and you see something that looks like it's kind of close to your wing or your outboard engine, you know, you, you should probably notice that and like slow down and maybe stop until you figure out, uh, you know, what's going on with that. But, uh, apparently the captain either wasn't looking out the window or, or didn't have that depth perception thing going maybe he on used to fly for Southwest. Um, oh, that's true. Liz could be, could be a, uh, an ex uh, Southwest airlines pilot and uh, he likes to taxi quickly uh i don't know i i just um i find it hard to have see any excuse uh, i mean if the visibility was really really bad then why are you taxiing so darn fast 
that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's what, you know, when I first saw that video, I, I almost thought it was a fake video because it was the airplane was moving so fast and didn't seem to have any regard for the baggage carts. Like you said, it, yeah. it's not like he barely hit one with the wingtip. Oh, no. I mean, those baggage carts were 50 feet or whatever into the wing, far enough, like you said, to hit the number two engine. Mm-hmm. And then you also kind of alluded to it. If you watch the video at the uh, right as he's pulling, right as he's coming to a stop, there's like a little uh, tug man up there who just gets out of the way in the nick of time. It almost <laughs> reminds me of a cartoon. Uh, yeah, watching that guy exactly. just yeah. just avert disaster. Yeah, crazy. And that's all we know about that. Here's the uh, slide on the video here of the uh, the routing. Uh, they landed uh, to the west, it appears, and they taxied on the parallel on the north side of the runway, and then crossed the runway, came back in. Probably the normal reading that you would take to uh, get to the cargo area, probably the south cargo area, they probably call that. Uh, yeah, John Jester is a an expert, a very experienced um, cargo pilot, and he said that was scary fast. We have very little weight on the nose, and steering in snow is challenging. I just did it last night, and it wasn't fun. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, John. I'm thinking for but those you didn't conditions. Make the news, which is good. Yeah, well, John. Yeah, uh, Liz is saying that uh, it's good that you didn't make the news. Yeah. <laughs> no, no paperwork. Anyway, here's another uh, picture that uh, we have a still of the uh, damage to the left main landing gear truck and and uh, gear doors. And there's the, uh, is that the number two or number one? That must be the number two. Yeah, engine with a lot of two. damage. And yep, there's that's number two. Number two. Yeah, look at that. The, gar- the uh, carts are still kind of connected to it. I think that's the number one. Yeah, that's it's a mess. I, I'm not sure that we're going to learn much more from this, but uh, wow, that's uh, something else. Okay, so that is our first news item. That's all we know about it. Um, yeah, and, go ahead. I was going to say one other thing. I So I got curious because somebody in one of the comments that I read online asked what, uh, you know, like what the impact of this would be or the cost of it would be. And so I Googled it and it, everything that I saw said that some 47 engines cost about 10 million bucks. Mm. So if you think about the number one, for sure, number one engine would have to come off because it ingested a couple of carts. I don't know if the number two engine, if anything actually went through it, or that's just a lot of nacelle damage, but man, that's a pretty steep, uh, that's a pretty steep hit for a, uh, what seems like kind of a mindless error. Yeah. And that, that's going to really cut into the, uh, the profit margin, I, I would imagine for 2022. For those of you waiting for packages, they may not be coming. Uh, Liz says, for those of you waiting for packages uh, coming in from China, uh, they may not get to you <laughs> right away. There might be a little bit of a delay. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, let's, Jump to item number two, and this is uh, from paddleyourowncanoe.com. I got a bunch of stuff from them. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, a blog, and uh, the headline of this is, A Boeing Dreamliner made, made an emergency diversion to Hong Kong, but the crew were stuck on board because of pandemic rules. 
The pilots of an Air New Zealand-operated Boeing 787 Dreamliner were forced to make an emergency diversion to Hong Kong after the cockpit windscreen cracked. But once on the ground, local officials barred the crew members from getting off the plane because of pandemic fears. The president of the New Zealand Airline Pilots Association said the flight crew were stuck on board the stricken aircraft for hours, had to remain on board the plane until a, quote, suitable extraction opportunity was presented. The Dreamliner was, it almost sounds like a, you know, special forces extraction (laughs) or or something. Or a tooth being pulled. Or, yeah, or or your tooth being pulled. Uh, The Dreamliner was being operated as a cargo-only service and was heading to Guangzhou on the Chinese mainland loaded with perishable items fresh from New Zealand, such as cherries, stone fruit, seafood, and live sheep. No, I I added that. Uh, I don't think they had that on there. Uh, I guess they were bringing in stuff for the upcoming Lunar New Year celebrations. And the unexpected arrival of an aircraft and its crew in Hong Kong presented some serious challenges with how the crew were subsequently handled. The Hong Kong authorities refused to process the crew, which left them in a position of having to remain on the aircraft until a suitable extraction opportunity was presented. Under Hong Kong's tough pandemic control measures, all arrivals by air must have tested negative for COVID-19 within 48 hours of departure. There are no exceptions made for emergency diversions, even though arriving aircrew are required to take a test as soon as they enter the airport terminal. Although I don't think they were allowed to enter the airport terminal, were they? The Hong Kong authorities do not accept rapid antigen testing, so the pilots wouldn't have been able to quickly prove they were not infectious by taking a rapid test once they landed. Um, And again, this is the uh, uh, New Zealand Airline Pilots Association representative saying it's concerning that the crew had no ability to rest in Hong Kong after an already arduous 12-hour duty. They were not able to enter the country. Air New Zealand's pilots are regularly tested for COVID-19, and there have been no reported cases of infection amongst the pilot workforce for the entire length of the pandemic. That's pretty impressive, actually. So nobody uh, on the pilot workforce at uh, Air New Zealand has been infected. The plane remains on the ground in Hong Kong following Thursday's diversion while it awaits a replacement windscreen, which is being delivered from Singapore. Uh, The 24 tons of cargo was successfully transported to Guangzhou with the help of a partner airline. Hmm. That must have been fun. (laughs) I guess, you know, it's better than sleeping under an underpass or something, an overpass. But uh, still, long day. I I was a little surprised because, uh, you know, if you look at it, uh, New Zealand also has one of the more restrictive uh, travel policies in terms of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it seems like they would be, uh, you know, in my mind, somebody coming from New Zealand uh, would maybe be a little more accepted than, say, someone coming from the United States where we have very limited restrictions based on cowboys. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> COVID cowboys. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other thing I thought about was it. You know, you think about how, at least in our, in the United States, they, they really try to, um, shape everything, shape all their policies and regulations to, um, kind of protect the pilot and give the pilot the best opportunity to manage an emergency. Um, you know, when you look at how our, uh, 
judicial system handles um, pilot incidents and emergencies and stuff like that. And uh, this really seems like it kind of goes against that in, it goes against that mindset in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the next guys, if, if there's another flight flying in that area who have a emergency or a situation, are they going to make a good decision based on the safety of the flight? Or is it going to be kind of in the back of their mind? Like, Oh, we could be in for, you know, two days of miserable conditions or something. And maybe this issue that we have isn't really as bad as we think it is was the first thing I thought about. And then the second thing I thought about is I wonder how they would manage a medical emergency. You know, if there's a medical emergency on like a passenger carrying flight that had to divert into there, um, seems like they don't have maybe a good, um, procedure to, yeah, Yeah. to, to manage that. So. Right. Yeah. I would, uh, I would hope that the medical emergency and the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, treatment of the sick passenger would, you know, take priority over, over, you know, the COVID thing, you know, and you you have to understand that these were just freight dogs. So who cares? (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Bottom, bottom (laughs) run of the ladder type of pilot. (laughs) Sorry, John, you know, I'm joking. Uh, we love our cargo pilots out there. Um, in fact, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, us passenger flying pilots are, uh, envious that, uh, you guys don't have to worry about all the all the walking cargo <laughs> that we have to deal with. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, let's uh, move on then to our next item. And this is a uh, kind of a doozy. Uh, this is from the, uh, Oh, again, paddle your own canoe. Uh, British airways plane has door ripped off in a jet bridge mishap in Cape town. And Liz is showing us one of the photos that we have on our slide uh, show. Um, a door, a very large door from a 777-200 jet got ripped off while it was preparing for departure in Cape Town on Wednesday evening. The aircraft was parked at the terminal and connected to a jet bridge with the cabin door open when a tug driver allegedly started to push the plane back. Hmm, not good. Photos of the aircraft shared on Twitter show the door propped up inside the jet bridge after being ripped clean off the plane. The plane was due to operate British Airways Flight 42 back to London Heathrow, uh, but the flight has unsurprisingly been canceled. Yeah, they were going to find it hard to um, keep it below 10,000 feet because we're not going to be able to pressurize. (laughs) Yeah, you're right, Liz. Sorry, I don't know. I didn't even notice that when I was doing those slides. That you're right. That is an Emirates airplane, but uh, the British Air. <laughs> maybe that was another. Uh, that was probably a, yeah. another incident that we had talked I th- about. I think it says in the bottom of that um, news article that uh, there was a. Let's see. Oh, maybe I guess not. They mentioned a Lufthansa and another Virgin. Yeah, Airbus that had that issue. I think we did talk about the Emirates uh, one on a oh. previous show. Yeah, I guess there it is. In August 2020, an Emirates 777-300 yeah. was badly damaged. Yeah. So that was, I guess, just for a little bit more of jet bridge uh, ripping off. Mayhem. <laughs> yeah, but jet bridge mayhem. Um, anyway, uh, the plane was due to operate British Airways Flight 42 back to London, uh, but unsurprisingly has been canceled and specialized repair work will be required to get the plane airworthy again. Yeah, it would have been tough to 
pressurize the airplane without that big door. Yeah. Those jetways are definitely pretty robust to be able to tear a door off like that when you're pushing yeah, the airplane apparently. back. And, you know, it's, I guess they're fortunate or maybe as a, a well-designed hinge system, but you know, if that door were to get caught in that, um, in that jet bridge and kind of bend that door frame, it, uh, it'd cause an even bigger issue. So I guess, and on one hand, they're fortunate that that door just broke clean off maybe so they can just bolt another yeah. one on and go. Looks like that opening doesn't really have any damage at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty beefy construction. Those triple sevens are, are tanks. Okay. Um, next item, uh, is a, an update on that full shear airplane. Um, let's see, it was a, uh, uh, caravan, uh, that didn't see a, uh, paraglider, uh, in Texas, um, in the Houston area. And it's a preliminary report from the NTSB reveals, uh, that the, uh, the the uh, cargo carrying um, Cessna uh, did not see at all and was not aware of the uh, the paraglider, which I think we already kind of talked about before. But this is now official that uh, the paraglider did not have a transponder or an automatic dependent surveillance broadcast and ADSB uh, system on it, and nor are they required to. And the airspace that the paraglider was flying in uh, they were perfectly legal to be flying in and um, that's just one of those things where you know see and avoid uh, is is prevalent or should be and uh, if you're operating single pilot in a, a big single engine airplane like that uh, caravan um, and you, you have a lot a lot of things going on and you can't always you know devote complete attention to just staring out the front windshield. There's a lot of things going on inside that cockpit. And apparently, uh, yeah, he never, never saw the paraglider and ended up, uh, hitting the, uh, paraglider with the right wing. And, Interesting uh, comment here from John in the chat oh, room. John's making a good comment. Former PPG or you will not see a paraglider outside of a mile. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that's a good, uh, a good point. You know, we, a lot of times people look at those caravans and that's like a slower moving airplane that would be coming out of a class Bravo airspace, but you know, they're still moving 180 knots or 200 knots or whatever they're doing. And, um, when you think about the profile or silhouette of a paraglider, it's not very big to begin with. And then, you know, if they're below the horizon, um, and you're kind of looking down at them or right on the horizon where there's a lot of junk and it's, you're not going to have a real clear background. It would be pretty difficult to be able to differentiate it from say a bunch of houses or a piece of playground equipment on a school or something like that. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, so how do we avoid these? You know, we always say, well, see and avoid, you know, VFR, VMC, see and avoid, but we all know that that is, somewhat flawed, you know, um, you can't mm -hmm. always see everything until you're right up on it. Um, yep. and you know, including drones and everything else out there. I mean, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, perhaps if, 
the rules were changed to at least have some kind of a device that a paraglider might be able to I know I know they are probably weight sensitive on those types of airplanes or you know flying machines yeah and even uh, you know even like the Luscom that I fly um, does not it was not certified with an electrical system does not have an electrical system so it is wavered into more airspaces than a a normal airplane you know I still can't go into class B or class C airspace but there is a like the, a mode C veil. If anyone's familiar with airspaces, there's a mode C veil, and because my airplane, because this Luscom was has never had an electrical system, we're, we're actually exempted from the mode C and ADSP requirements to go into that airspace, and um, so it's a little less restrictive. But at the end of the day, it's you still have to resort to see and avoid, and like you said, it's all of these things when you're flying are are. Uh, kind of weight sensitive. And in the case of the Luscom, um, some guys have put transponders in their airplanes and had battery powered transponders. Um, but the problem, you know, then the problem you get into there is there, there are rules where you're not supposed to turn off a transponder and same with ADSB, you're not supposed to be turning on and off transponders and ADSB. So then you get into the situation where, Oh, well, I'm going to add a transponder. It's not that much weight. It's a couple pounds. But then to get it to run all the time, you've got to add an alternator and a battery, and now you're adding a lot of weight. fifteen or twenty pounds to an airplane that only has maybe a four hundred pound useful load. So it's a a significant threshold. And then and then you get into you know what where do you want to set where do you want to set the threshold for performance, right? Like as you get lighter and cheaper and more prevalent with all these devices, you're you're probably going to lose some performance. And I know. Dr. Steph mentioned, you know, putting ADSB on maybe on last time she said, you know, can we put it on paragliders or paramotors? And you talk about going down to kind of the minimum, the least common denominator, and it ends up being like a skydiver or a small drone. And I think the technology will get to a point where you can have that device on anything that's in the air, but are you going to require it to be tested every two years? Like a current mode C transponder is? Are you going to require it to meet the performance requirements that ADSB is currently held to? So I think there are a lot of questions there. And yeah, that's a big, still. that's a big limitation, isn't it? All the testing and certification requirements and currency and that, that type of thing. Uh, I'm thinking, would a Stratus type device that has some kind of a portable battery, uh, that's only ADSB in though, isn't it? It's not an right. ADSB out. You right. really need ADSB out so that other airplanes can see you. Yeah, and if you look at some of the ADSB out devices that are available now, you know there's a a device called a GDL82 that is uh, not much bigger than the size of an iPhone. It's about three or four times as thick as an iPhone, but it's it's not a large instrument. There's a, a company called UAvionics makes a tail beacon and a and a wing beacon that basically takes the place of the small nav light strobe light combo. So that's another, you know, maybe the size of two golf balls. Um, so I think the size is getting down into that area where it, where it makes sense. But then you talk about adding a battery, the certification of moving it around in an airplane, you know, it's very easy to limit, um, a device to being certified on a wingtip or on a tail. But when you start talking about 
uh, you know, a handheld device, you know, will it work the same if it's in your pocket or if it's in a backpack you're wearing on a paraglider or if it's clipped to your chest when you're, you know, in one of these smaller vehicles, it, it opens up the certification field for it. It makes it a lot more challenging to ensure that you get the appropriate performance. And, you know, one of the concerns when ADSB coming out, um, one of the lesser, um, commented on concerns was, you know, are people going to start becoming over-reliant on it? Are, are people going to, and obviously I'm, I don't know what happened in this scenario, but are people who used to be more conscious of see and avoid now just going to be in the cockpit all the time because they have this screen that supposedly shows them everything that's out there. So they don't yeah. need to worry about seeing and avoid. So that's a, yeah, that's also an aspect of it. Probably not a, a, a great thing either, because even if everybody out there is supposed to, you know, if we get to the point where everything out there that's flying has to have some kind of a beacon so that others can see them, you know, what happens when it stops working, you still have to, you know, look outside and see and avoid. Um, I think it was Neil that uh, was saying, yeah, is there a hierarchy in the air as a paraglider or paramotor? Do you have the maneuverability to get out of the way? Not really. No, you have very limited vulnerability. And as John the, says, you can spiral to increase visibility and descend, but they are very slow. Yeah. And, um, and there are hierarchies like, uh, yeah, I guess the less maneuverable has the hierarchy as has the, uh, right of way. Correct. Yeah. I, and I guess, I don't know with like a powered paraglider, I guess I don't know where it falls into it, but you know, like gliders have right away over powered vehicles and hot air balloons have right away over powered vehicles because they both have clear limitations. But I guess with a paramotor, you are still powered and you, you are still capable of maneuvering. So yeah, I actually don't know where it falls in the uh, hierarchy. Yeah. I don't either. Anyway. Yeah. Just, you know, this just kind of, you know, makes the point that uh, you just always have to be as much as you can, you know, looking outside and clearing if you're not in the clouds, you know, just to hopefully, yep. you know, uh, see something and, and be able to avoid it. And, uh, you know, this, these were, uh, this is, you know, two lives lost both in the, in the caravan and in the uh, paraglider and it, uh, yep. nobody was doing anything wrong, really. I mean, they were perfectly legal at least. And, you know, that also goes back. We talked last time, I think with Rick, Miami Rick about the possibility of going, you know, down to single pilot operations and some cargo. And it's always a question of if we're going to get to single pilot or no pilot operations. And this is another good example of why, you know, even if you have all the automation in the world in this airplane, you still need to be able to operate it and do that see and avoid. And it gets very challenging in these flight regimes where you're in the cockpit a lot, like getting the airplane set up to land or, you know, transitioning from takeoff to climb or things like that, where you've got one pilot doing a lot of stuff in the airplane and you're traveling at 250 knots or 300 knots. It's awfully nice to have an, another guy sitting there, not only cross-checking you on the checklist, but, you know, being able to focus on outside the airplane. Right. All right. Oh, Neil says the right of way goes to the guy with the biggest guns. So the A-10 wins. Okay. Well, Neil, I don't know if you're, if you've been paying attention here, but I don't think an A-10 was involved in this, but, uh, we, the point is well taken, Neil, <laughs> for sure. Good, yeah. good when discussion, it comes... Jeff, because you're, you're really motoring through the news. So feel free to do quite a bit of discussion on the next couple of items. Okay. Liz, she said, we need to 
talk more about this stuff. Stretch it out there a bit. Stretch we're just like bit. knocking this stuff out uh, too quickly. Well, last time we were doing like half an hour per item. Hey, you know what? That's okay, Liz. If we have a short show, I think that's kind of a treat for our listeners. Okay. Yeah. And a treat for me who has to do all the editing. Okay, let's so speed it up. I say let's make it an hour long show and then we'll be finished okay. in the can. And Steph won't even make it on. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get Steph on before we uh, we end the show. Okay. Uh, let's move on to this next item, which is from the uh, Aviation Herald, my favorite news source for aviation uh, incidents and accidents. Uh, let's see. A JetBlue Airbus A320-200 registration, November 760, Juliet Bravo, performing flight 1748 from Hayden, Colorado to Fort Lauderdale, was uh, departing Hayden's runway 10. When the aircraft's tail contacted the runway surface, the aircraft continued a normal departure and climbed to flight level 310. When Denver Center forwarded a message to the crew stating that they had a tail strike on the departure runway, the crew subsequently decided to divert to Denver, where the aircraft landed on runway 35 right without further incident about 45 minutes after departure from Hayden. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage, however. And uh, the FAA reported the aircraft incurred a tail strike on departure. Hayden, Colorado, uh, stated the damage was unknown, rated the occurrence an incident, later correcting it to an accident, probably because of the extent of the damage and the cost of repair. We're showing a picture from... That uh, tail strike on uh, the tail end of that uh, jet blue. And uh, yeah, scraped it up pretty good. I kind of find it hard to believe that somebody sitting in the back, like one of the flight attendants, didn't hear that probably very loud sound when the tail hit the runway. And I can't imagine that a flight attendant hearing that wouldn't immediately call the cockpit and yeah. uh, tell them that, hey, I think. You hit something or something doesn't sound right here. Uh, well, it did hmm. say later in the article, uh, passengers reported the tail strike was clearly felt and heard upon rotation for takeoff. And I would think, I guess, if you only have flight attendants sitting up front, maybe, yeah, maybe they, they wouldn't have, have noticed they, it. But they got to have one in the back, at least one, maybe yeah, two. I, it's, yeah. It would be hard for me to believe that a passenger would notice something that a flight attendant wouldn't notice, first of all. And then I would have thought the passengers would have said something, you know, if it was heard by three or four people, I would assume that at least one of them are safety conscious or yeah. flight weary and, and would make a comment because like, um, well, I don't, you didn't say it, but the thing that I thought was, um, you know, the concern about the pressure bulkheads and the pressure vessel and you know, as they climb up to altitude and uh, try to start pressurizing the airplane, what sort of impacts that tail strike had on the structure? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the critical risk when you have a tail strike is the, uh, is that whole pressure issue and the pressure bulkhead in the back. Um, so the reason why this happened, uh, according to the FAA, uh, ASDI data, radar tracking data, a Beach 350, registration November 350 Juliet, arriving from Fort Smith, Arkansas, was on approach to Hayden's runway 28 at the time of the accident and touched down at 1158, about 100 seconds 
after departure of the A320. At the time of the A320 becoming airborne, the Beach 350 was 2.85 nautical miles, so within three miles of the runway, 2.8 threshold, descending through 900 feet above ground level. At the time, the B350, uh, which is a, um, isn't that a King, King Air, Air 350? Yep. Yeah. Yep, it's Touchdown, the, the, the A320 was climbing through 8,800 feet, MSL, about 2.2 nautical miles past the runway 10N, which is the runway 28 threshold, in a slight right-hand turn about 0.4 nautical miles off the extended runway centerline. Uh, Hayden's Yampa Valley Airport features a runway 1028 of 3,048 meters or 10,000 feet long at an elevation of uh, 6,600 feet MSL. Uh, they do not have a control tower, so you have to use, uh, well, it says a Unicom frequency is published for the airport, but I would imagine maybe that's what he's saying is a CTAF, a common traffic advisory frequency. So this is one of those cases where you have to, I mean, from the moment you your airplane starts moving when you're pushing back, when you're taxiing out to the runway, uh, you're monitoring this common traffic advisory frequency for other aircraft in the area who are also hopefully, um, m you know, making radio calls, alerting folks of where they are uh, in relation to the airport. And this is the way without a dedicated control tower and air traffic controllers that you kind of manage these situations, which is, you know, uh, not uncommon. There are a lot, probably more airports in our country, probably way more <laughs> airports in our yeah, country definitely. that have no control towers as opposed to the ones that have, you know, manned, uh, you know, air traffic controllers and control towers. Uh, so you have to, you have to communicate and uh, let everybody know what's going on. I have a feeling that in this case, perhaps, Maybe because of the duties, the flight deck duties going on with the uh, the A320, maybe they weren't really listening to what was happening as far as airport uh, airplanes coming into the... And I think Hayden is one of those. I have not flown there myself. It might be one of those airports where you it's like a one-way in and one-way out um, kind of a deal because of all the high terrain and Yeah, such. that's kind of what it looks like. Okay. Uh, I, I'm unfamiliar with that airport, and I wasn't... I actually wasn't familiar with uh, another destination in Colorado that would uh, be taking Airbuses. But when I went and looked at it, it looks like it's the feeder airport for Steamboat Springs. So it's kind of a resort, you know, a resort uh, type of destination. Um, but yeah, you, you mentioned that there are a lot more airports in our country that don't have control towers than do have control towers. But I would say it, it is fairly rare that a uh, scheduled carriers flying something as big as a A320 into those airports. You know, a lot of times you'll see like CRJ 200s maybe flying into those small airports without control mm -hmm. towers. But I was a little surprised to see an airplane that big flying into an uncontrolled well, Nick, airport. This, this is something that I just noticed. Uh, they have a uh, METARS listed for, um, you know, the time before and after this incident. And uh, the one that's it, that's highlight actually in bold print is the one I think that occur that was current at the time of this incident. And I'm really concerned about this one because it said the winds are calm. No problem. Nine statute mm -hmm. miles of visibility, uh, the ceiling overcast 500, 500 feet. That's, this is yeah. instrument meteorological conditions. Um, yeah. so it would seem to me that 
to if this is IMC and they're flying both airplanes are on instrument flight plans how is it that the uh, air traffic control didn't restrict the incoming airplane from landing until the uh, the jet blue had taken off or conversely uh, how is it that the jet blue airplane was allowed um, you know the uh, a release from the airport when this King Air 350 was an approach. So I, something doesn't make sense here to me. Yeah, if it was it VFR, is. I could see it, right. but not not in these weather conditions. But, you know, even, even if it was VFR operations, I would assume that um, the Airbus for sure would be departing on an IFR departure, even if it's VFR VMC. And I would assume something as big as a King Air was, is more than likely flying uh, on an instrument flight plan. So I, I would think that, yeah, ATC would have much more uh, input in the separation here than just a standard uncontrolled airport. Yeah. That is weird. I think there's probably more to this than what we're seeing here in this report. Did you see John Abrams' comment, Nick? John Abrams uh, says, uh, I live in Colorado and I've never heard of Hayden. <laughs> but you've heard of Steamboat Springs, right, John? It's one of the mountain... Um, ski resort areas. I think Hayden is a kind of a, a seasonal um, right. scheduled uh, air airline service uh, this Don't time of year. I think that's why nobody said anything, Jeff. They were getting out of the cold, snowy thing and going to Fort Lauderdale, so they just wanted to get to the heat there. That's why they kept <laughs> yeah. their mouth uh, shut on the plane. One hundred seconds is not very much time. No, that's what. That's uh, under two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Liz was saying, well, maybe they just wanted to get uh, the uh, jet blue flight. We just wanted to get out of there and get to the warmer weather in Florida. <laughs> it could it be. Blew, blew off all the safety. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just, it's got to be something yeah, more to something this. Something doesn't smell right. Than, yeah, something doesn't smell right about this. Yeah. Um, well, maybe uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our ears and eyes peeled and hopefully have some kind of an update to this incident uh, that... Uh, Anyway, that the, that precipitated the the, uh, the tail strike, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Very very curious. Okay, mm, excuse me. I uh, basement um, IPA from Scofflaw Brewing Company is uh, <laughs> is is trying to get out. I've, I've I've drunk some of it, but it's not happy being in my gullet apparently. Um, this next item is a final report. It was an accident in South Africa, um, and I hadn't—I don't—I don't think we ever covered this uh, when it first occurred. This is something new to me when I was reading over it uh, yesterday. Uh, let's see, a Cessna uh, Citation 550, uh, Citation uh, S2, uh, Zulu Sierra uh, Charlie Alpha Romeo in Frimersheim. Uh, South Africa. And apparently this is an airplane that was uh, owned by and operated by the South African Civil Aviation Authority. And it was one of those types of airplanes that uh, go out there and do uh, instrument calibration flights. Um, they, uh, this airplane crashed into the Otanika Mountains near the town of Freimersheim. The three occupants were killed. And the aircraft was destroyed. 
The citation departed Port Elizabeth Airport on a positioning flight to George Airport on approach to uh, Foxtrot Alpha Golf Golf. The flying crew requested to carry out a calibration flight for the very high frequency omnidirectional range or VOR beacon at Foxtrot Alpha Golf Golf. Uh, I, I want to say fag, but that's probably not appropriate. So <laughs> Foxtrot Alpha Golf Golf. Due to inclement weather conditions at the time, they were not cleared to conduct VOR calibration. As a result, they decided to land and refuel the aircraft before commencing with the calibration of the instrument landing system on runway 11. The flying crew requested takeoff from runway 11 and an early right turn to intercept radial 250, 17 nautical miles uh, DME arc to radial 330 at 3,000 feet, climbing to 4,000 feet. The air traffic control uh, ATC granted their request. Radar data indicated that at 1042, the aircraft took off from runway 11. Once airborne, made a right turn to intercept radial 250 using the George VOR. The aircraft climbed to 3,000 feet. Once the aircraft reached the 17 nautical mile DME arc, uh, it commenced with a right turn to intercept radial 330 while maintaining the arc. Uh, at 1046, the ATC advised the flying crew they were now exiting controlled airspace and were advised to broadcast on the special rules frequency. The crew acknowledged the advisory to change frequency and there was no further communication. The aircraft was still being monitored by ATC using secondary surveillance radar. At 10.50, radar data showed the aircraft crossing radial 310, entered a climb from 3,000, reaching 3,900 feet. As the aircraft leveled off at 3,900 feet, a rapid descent occurred. The aircraft lost 1,500 feet in approximately nine seconds. And I did the math for us. That's about 10,000 feet per minute. Um, that's pretty significant. Three pretty seconds significant. prior to impact, the aircraft nose pitched up before impacting a ridge at 2,192 feet. And they came up with a probable, probable cause. The crew lost control of the aircraft, which resulted in significant loss of altitude. As they attempted to recover, they collided with the mountain. Uh, there was significant cloud coverage below 1,500 feet above ground level at the time of the accident, as observed in the METARs. Mountaintops were obscured, uh, as uh, evidenced by uh, some footage of a webcam. The aircraft route, which is 17 nautical mile, the 17 nautical mile arc, passes over the obscured mountains. From the limited flight data recorder reading, the aircraft attitude drastically changed into an unusual attitude when approaching the mountainous area. This indicates that most probably, most probably the pilot entered into an unusual attitude during transition from VFR to IFR flight without preparation. Not sure what that means. The accident flight plan was VFR. In other words, maybe that was a surprise to them. They thought they were going to be flying VFR, per, perhaps, and they ended up encountering IFR. But I would imagine with pilots this experienced and flying for the uh, the controlling or not controlling, but the uh, regulatory agency of South Africa would be pretty versed at flying in instrument meteorological conditions, flying IFR. Yeah, um, I think so. You'd hope so. Yeah. And apparently th there's a couple of Liz included, uh, what, three articles here. Mm -hmm. The second one, Liz, is just like very confusing to me. I guess they're, is some kind of a political thing going on and people are kind of uh, unhappy with the uh, 
report from the South African Civil Aviation Authority. Well, you know, the second one points a couple of uh, has a couple of pretty pointed comments towards um, the SACAA. Uh, you know, it mentions uh, the most serious of the finding against the authority was that the aircraft was not maintained in accordance with the requirements of annual inspections. Certificate of airworthiness was thus rendered invalid. It goes on to talk about um, one of the aircraft's engines was replaced, a procedure that requires a full inspection by the SACAA's flight inspection unit. However, the inspection did not take place. The SACAA had grounded aircraft from South African Airways and other airline operators for similar contraventions. So it sounds like uh, maybe there's some consternation about the fact that they are not holding themselves to the same level of performance that they hold um, others to. Yeah, yeah the people that look regulate. to them for regulation for. Yeah. yeah. I There's a, uh, in this last article, I believe it's the last one, um, and I kind of highlighted this, um, one of the... Um, I'm I'm not sure who this was. It was one of the investigators or not, or maybe a, a family member of one of the pilots that were killed. Uh, Lakala, uh, <laughs> not sure how you pronounce that. Um, said, here's a quote here. The pilot is an operator. If the aircraft malfunctions, there's absolutely nothing he can do about it, especially when you're in the sky. <laughs> I thought, now, wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, that must have been taken out of context or something, because, um, you know, we're we're trained to uh, handle malfunctions of an aircraft. And there is a lot that we can do about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's we were trained. We tra that's why we we get paid what we get paid, because we are uh, expected to be able to handle emergency situations or abnormal situations and, you know, get the airplane on the ground safely. So yeah. I thought that was an unusual kind of uh, quote. Yeah. And I, you know, I was a little surprised just with the, uh, I don't know what sort of equipment they had on this airplane. I, I assume they have some more modern stuff in addition to VORs, but I was a little surprised that they are, that they were out doing any sort of calibration work in anything other than uh, VFR, like total VMC conditions. Yeah. Um. So that was a little unusual. And, and then it just, the fact that they reference uh, the, you know, incapability of the crew to recover from an unusual attitude that was um, driven by basically VFR into IMC. Um, you know, that's another one where you would hope that a, a jet operator would have the capability to do that. And then the fact that not there were not only two, but three people on this airplane. Um, yeah, it's a little unfortunate. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So this is an odd one. Uh, as I said, we, we hadn't, uh, you know, talked about this, um, on previous episodes. So I wasn't even aware of this, of this, uh, crash at all, but it is kind of unusual that as we've mentioned before, uh, that, uh, the, the regulatory agency that operates this airplane didn't hold itself uh, to the same standards and, you know, requirements of, uh, others that they regulate. So kind of damning for sure. All right. Anything else to add? 
that we missed? No? All right. Well, I think now we'll just keep on moving on. So let's do the getting to know us segment. Getting to like stuff, getting to hope stuff likes us. Singing. <laughs> I don't. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. <laughs> well, I didn't see that. I'm sorry, Liz. <laughs> Hello, Steph. Hi. Nice that you joined us. How are you I'm doing? I'm glad I finally made it. Yeah. I'm good. good I'm tired, good. but I'm excited. Yeah. What this have you been fun. up to? Work, 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 work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like okay. to say it's been exciting stuff to report, but nope. Work, okay. work, work. So um, you you may have, I, I would imagine that you've been listening at least to some of the items that we've covered so far. I heard the last three minutes. Okay. Oh, well, not much then. No. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm not going to ask you if you have any input regarding anything. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> okay. No, I was I was trying to further multitask on my drive home and had to make a couple of phone calls, so I did not get mm-hmm. to listen. And I actually did not realize that you had already started until Liz um, announced that we were ha- you were half hour into the show already. I went, yeah. Oh, I, I should hurry and get home. But I was trying. Yeah, we you know yeah. we we uh, we thought we thought about waiting, and then we thought, nah. No, I'm, I'm glad. Start. I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> I, that's, that makes for a very late night for everybody, and that's yeah. unnecessary. So, thank you for getting started without me. Right. Yeah, we just Seriously. didn't have. We didn't actually warn anybody, you know, in enough time that we were going to perhaps <sighs> delay the show fine. a bit. All, all good. But anyway, so glad that you were able to join us. Sorry that you're so busy with the work, work, work. Thing. Me too. It's just one of those days where everything kind of lines up the wrong way. Yeah. You know, scheduling snafus, things that get rescheduled incorrectly, and then uh, <laughs> things that require t- extra time and attention that you didn't anticipate. Um, not, oh, my microphone is hot. No, you're fine. Sorry, I, I adjusted I adjusted your uh, volume, so you're, you're sounding okay. great now. Yeah, yeah, I haven't touched anything, and the cleaners have been, actually, no, they have not been here. Yeah. But I would like to thank our new production assistant for clearing my driveway and having my audio hijack um, updated and uh, the computer turned on uh, when I got here. That did make yeah, the one a that more has the seamless abs. Yeah, I think he's working he's on my hot tub right guy. now, too. <laughs> so you're probably wanting us to go ahead and I'm not sure how, you, how, much, you're paying this, how much you're paying this guy, but it's worth it. Just more than I'm know. paying you all. Oh, I figured. I'm not surprised. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's that's the payment from me, your little treat. Anyway, um, so, well, as I said, uh, good to see you. And uh, as you said, you've been just mostly working and that's about it, huh? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I know we're doing the getting to know us um, kind of for the, the second week in a row. It was a low-key weekend. I don't have anything really to, to add. There wasn't any flying. It was more really cold, kind of no more snow or nasty uh, inclement winter like weather here but just really chilly the past weekend um and still had some more family things to take care of so that's that's primarily what has been happening excellent um yeah all right um nick how about yourself what have you what have you been up to uh yeah i got to fly a little bit this weekend had unseasonably nice weather on uh saturday and sunday and so uh 
got to fly the Luscombe a little bit right at sunset, which was a nice flight. And uh, nice. now we are paying for that with a winter storm that came through mm-hmm. and gave us six inches of snow today. Ooh. That's kind of um, how it goes, isn't it? It's like yeah. this tease of like, oh, it's almost going to feel like spring and then right back yep. to winter. <laughs> yep. I think the groundhog saw his shadow today. So mm, six more weeks six of winter weeks. for all of us. Yep. Yay. They said. I'll tell you what I think about you, Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil. <laughs> right back into your burrow there. <laughs> Wait a minute, Liz. Are you saying that do you have a groundhog up there that gives you the uh, forecast for your winter or? Oh, the Canadian groundhog is different. You have a Canadian yes, we groundhog? have we have we have an albino groundhog called Wireton Willie, and oh. and Willie and Willie is saying an early spring up here. Oh, so, well, good for well, you. That figures. Well, enjoy our early spring. Yeah, there she's sending all her crappy wet winter weather down exactly. to us. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. Uh, so. Um, yeah, continue, sir. Uh, so that's about it. I got okay. uh, all the electrical gremlins that I discussed in the last show oh, yeah. uh, sorted out in my airplane. So, Excellent. That's exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, so I could uh, I could be on the brink of flying it if I didn't have to dig it out of the hangar. Um, so it's, put some skis be, on it. No problem, right? Pushed back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grab your snowmobile, tow it out, or tug it out. I think that's how it works, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm interested in what Nick makes on his 3D printer. I use that for a combination of uh, prototyping parts for my day job and making little toys for my boys. So, oh, cool. That's the most important oh. use. Yeah. Yeah. And I made a few parts for my airplane on there. So. And you probably make little toys for yourself, too, I bet. <laughs> that he's not going to, to admit to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that's about it for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's see. I um, When did we record last? I was, uh, oh yeah, I was in South Dakota on my little yeah, personal Friday. trip. And then uh, I got home on Saturday, sang Saturday afternoon and then, or no, wait, no, I didn't do that. I got home Saturday night and then I uh, sang on Sunday and then I headed up to the cabin to uh, change out the uh, dirty clothes for uh, new clean ones and got the uniform, you know, reset and left quite early Monday morning from the cabin because it was a 7.25 report time. So it's a couple of hour drive from the cabin down to the Atlanta International Airport. But I uh, got a chance to fly with my uh, one of my favorite first officers, Brent. Brent? Yay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, no. so we were in Myrtle Beach uh, on the first night and we, we had done, we had tried... Barbecue. Stay relatively close to the airport or you're more like yeah, it's more like known like down, down yeah, in the beach the, area yeah okay we tried sweet carolines or sweet carolinas like um sometime last year weren't impressed so we mm-hmm. didn't do that again so we ended up eating non-barbecue in yeah. uh in myrtle beach well, right by the airport there there's a tupelo honey and some other stuff that's actually pretty decent that sounds good but no yeah. we're not that we're not at the airport and then uh, we were, uh, this is a South Carolina trip for me, uh, Steph, uh, Myrtle Beach, and then Columbia last night. And uh, we ate at um, a little uh, barbecue um, buffet kind of little place, hole in the wall near the, uh, right across the street, or maybe on the University of South Carolina campus called the Palmetto Pig. And hmm. 
Brent and I were pigs and we ate a lot of pulled pork barbecue and green beans and what I thought was Brunswick stew, but she said, no, that's hash. And, <laughs> okay. uh, I feel I, like it's all the same ingredients just combined I tasted in, like, and then labeled however you feel like labeling it. Could yeah, be Brunswick it like, stew, could be hash, like Brunswick could stew be to me, but chili, uncertain, like just, you know. It was good fried chicken and uh, coleslaw and potato salad and banana pudding. I mean, they had everything. And so, so how did uh, the Jeff and Brent rating system The Jeff and Brent rating, uh, Liz is asking. Um, I think we probably give it about a seven, seven and a half, oh, something good. like that. Yeah, yeah pretty not, good. Pretty good. Uh, not, would, not the best. Would repeat, um, given the other options in Columbia? Um, probably not. Oh. Probably oh, okay. not. These guys have high so. standards. Anyway, yeah, we Liz says we have high standards. I um, see. <laughs> anyway, so but it was fun. Uh, we, you know, you had to check. It was very relative, really a, a hole in the wall kind of place. And yeah. Anyway, um, so a good trip. Uh, nice short legs, um, except the, the well, even yeah, even the Louisville turn at the very end of it. Weather yeah, was awesome. You, did, you had a little delay there until this morning. Uh, we uh, yeah we did have a, a little delay in um, Columbia. Uh, the airplane that we flew the day before um, into Columbia, uh, the the APU um, Air, the pneumatics part of the APU that we used to spin up, you know, engines for engine start, uh, was not working. It was inoperative, and but the electrics from the APU were working, so it wasn't completely a bad situation. Uh, but uh, we had to use a, an external air cart, what we call a huffer, to uh, you know provide the high pressure air that we need to get into our pneumatic system to start spinning the uh, the engines uh, for engine start. And not normally a problem, really wasn't a, a big deal for us until this morning. Um, and <laughs> Brent, we're we're in the uh, van to the airport, and uh, oh by the way, that was late too because. The driver ended up getting caught behind a train um, or on the wrong side of a train. And I guess it must have been a very long train because it was probably 15, 20 minutes uh, late for our pickup this morning. But we made it there in time to do all the stuff. And then Brent on the way says, oh, hey, Jeff, did you see that the airplane that we flew yesterday that had the APU air issue uh, is the airplane that we're flying this morning? I went, oh, no, hope we don't have to de-ice. We had to de-ice because of Ugh. frost, and uh, we're not allowed to take off with frost on the upper wing surfaces and tail. And so, yeah, it was, they're not really, really good uh, at the de-icing thing at Columbia. Um, so, uh, and then, of course, we had the added complication with the APU, you know, having to do a, an engine start at the gate and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, we got out of there about a half an hour late, but we ended up making it to Atlanta with only about a maybe a 10, 15 minute late arrival at the gate. So it wasn't as bad as I, I guess it, it could be. So but that was the only little bump in the road and the only weather that we had at all was uh, going up to Louisville and back. There's just rain now right now or maybe not long from now. I think Louisville, Kentucky and that area of the United States is going to be experiencing some pretty nasty wintry weather, precipitation, ice, snow, and that kind of thing. So thankfully, trip is over. We don't have to fly in it. So overall, good trip. So 
that's what I did. And I just got back from that today. And, um, oh, I wanted to mention, well, you want to, I guess we can do the, um, the artwork from the last show. And normally this is artwork that, uh, our, our, uh, uh, resident artist and creative, uh, Nick, Captain Nick does, uh, but because he is, uh, taking a break because of his health issues, uh, I had to do it. So I kind of slapped this together and I, I was saying that, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about tequila tower was the, uh, you know, cause of that controller and, and, uh, and Quito. Ecuador Quito, uh, was maybe, I don't know what he was enjoying. Maybe, uh, Jose Cuervo, probably not. Uh, but, uh, we, we decided we'd, uh, entitled the show tequila tower. And I found a bottle of, uh, Jose Cuervo especial. And, uh, now I was saying to the uh, crew that, uh, now if captain Nick had done this artwork, he would have done some nice special, cleanup of the, of the control tower in the, in the background and gotten rid of that and, you know, made it look more like a real bottle of, of tequila. But you know, I just didn't have time <laughs> nor the talent to, uh, to, to I was do that. Say <laughs> the former, obviously the time, but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's the artwork, of course, uh, the big bottle of tequila and the impaired uh, Did you want to do some explanation of things here, Jeff? Of yes, I do, things? Liz. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so uh, we have a, um, and we're going to talk about um, our new Patreon uh, here uh, soon when we do the uh, coffee fund. But the um, uh, he was asking, and many of you have asked this, in fact, and we have, sometimes we take for granted that everybody knows their way around of all, all the different ways to listen slash watch the airline pilot guy show, uh, but we probably shouldn't take that for granted. So let's talk a little bit about the fact that um, probably 90 something percent of you, most of you are listening to the show uh, audio only. And, uh, but we do get together uh, using a video platform uh, to record the show. And that just because that's because it just makes it easier for us all to get together because we're all over the world. Uh, in this case, though, today, it's just the, uh, the three of us, or four of us, actually, in uh, North America. Uh, but uh, when we have Nick on, he's over in England, uh, you know, across the pond, and uh, doing a using a video platform, video audio platform, uh, just makes it easier for us to get together so we can record the audio only podcast. But there is a video, and we sometimes refer a lot to videos that we're watching that you're listening to only when you're listening to the audio only podcast. We always mention. You know, if you want to watch this, the link for that YouTube video will be in the show notes. Uh, so um, we've had people say, well, how do I, you know, see these videos that you guys are talking about? Well, a couple different ways to do that. Now, I think the best way is to watch the YouTube video, uh, which is on youtube.com slash airline pilot guy. Uh, or you can go to the, um, uh, well, I think it's uh, one of our pages on the on the website as well. Or... Uh, if you just go to the, our website, airlinepilotguy.com, uh, you can uh, see all the different show notes with the time stamps for the various uh, news items that we're talking about and feedback. And if it involves a, a video, usually we have a, a link either directly to the video or to the special page and uh, an app that we use to uh, kind of run the show called Evernote. Uh, and then you can kind of find it from there and watch it uh, yourself. Um, 
Also, if you want to use those show notes on the airlinepilotguy.com website, uh, if you scroll down uh, beyond all the different things that I've listed with links, you can actually have a link to the uh, to that video that we uh, were using to record the show. So that's one way to do it. Um, and you really should, if you get to our YouTube channel, the actual YouTube page, youtube.com slash airline pilot guy, if you're there, uh, click on the subscribe button. And then uh, also the little, there's like a little bell, I think to the right of the subscribe button. And uh, that way, uh, when a new YouTube video has been published, it gives you some kind of a notification so you can see that uh, that's going on. Now, if you want to be notified before we do a live show and join all these wonderful people in our live audience, our live chat room, uh, you need to subscribe to the social meds that we have, uh, Twitter and Facebook primarily. And uh, Liz puts out uh, notifications every week. Uh, and like what, a couple days before usually, Liz, right? And then the, uh, day, the before. day before. The day yeah. before and the morning of. And the morning of. And if you of. listen at the end of the show, I will tell you what all of those um, Twitter right. handles and Facebook addresses and things are so you can find it. Right. So, yeah, stay tuned to the end where Steph is going to tell you all about how to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and or. And uh, that way you'll you'll be notified uh, when we're going to do the live show. And I think that. Uh, most everybody would agree, especially John. He's uh, he said this is the first time that he's actually uh, joined us while we're recording the show live on the uh, on on YouTube, and uh, he's enjoying the heck out of it. And there are a lot of great people. Well, they're all great people in there. Um, they have a lot of fun uh, helping us uh, answer questions and also uh, distract us uh, while we're trying well, to concentrate on ignoring us, covering and yeah, ignoring us and having conversations that have nothing at all to do with what we're covering in the show. And sometimes we have to be really focused on what we're talking about. And so not you come look to at, the live show, but, you can hang out with your friends in the chat room. And then yeah. later on, like during the week, you can listen to the show and see what you missed. Exactly. Now the, the audio only podcast usually is a little bit, I, I clean it up a little bit, uh, take out some extraneous stuff. Sometimes we have little tech issues, you know, that, we leave in on the uh, the video recording uh, that we take out for the audio only podcast. So they're a little bit different animals, but if you want to if you want to see the the way the so what is it the the way the sausage is made, uh, which sometimes is not palatable at all, <laughs> uh, you can watch us on the on the video. <laughs> but um, yeah. Oh, and by the way, if you go to the video, I usually put in uh, a, a time stamp. The, uh, where the show actually starts. So sometimes we're on for five to 10 minutes before we start recording the show. And sometimes we're, you know, it's a half an hour before we finally get around to actually, you know, starting the real show and radio Roger does his intro for the show. So I uh, try to make it handy for you to click on the timestamp then you can start right there. If you don't want to hear our pre-show banter, although you're really missing a lot if you do that, but well, I know what did Neil say, you this have lives from Neil. Let's see. Neil uh, in our chat room says the chat room is like free therapy for APG syndrome sufferers. Yeah, there you go. So if you're suffering from we, the syndrome, we provide it as a free benefit for all the uh, misery <laughs> that we've inflicted upon you. <laughs> exactly. It's our way of giving back. Oh, you know what? I was, uh, uh, the other thing I want to mention, and I'm not sure that uh, a lot of people are aware of this, but uh, Nick 
and I really put a lot of work into um, something called chapters and the audio only podcast. And I think most podcast players out there like uh, iTunes, uh, Apple's no Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Overcast, Overcast, yep. Pocket Cast, all these kind of, you know, uh, individual standalone apps that you can subscribe to podcasts and listen to support something called chapters. Uh, 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 Apple used to call it uh, enhanced podcasts, but now they're available for both um, iOS and Android um, podcast players where we'll be talking about something and the image will change if you are on your iPhone or even if your you're in your car, mm -hmm. it'll show up on the, depending on what type of uh, entertainment system you have, I think it shows up on the screen, right? For right. whatever's playing. Yeah. To, and so we to try distract to, you from driving. Yeah. So yeah. If you <laughs> don't sue us, please, you know, it's your responsibility not to look at that stuff, but you know, if you are a passenger in a car, you can look at the uh, uh, image. And Pardon just me? to be crystal clear, that's Captain Tesla. Nick doing that. I do none of that work. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Captain Nick uh, does all the uh, images for our, when he does the um, uh, plain tail. And then uh, I take all the work that he's done in the plain tail and transfer it over to the plain tail in line with our normal show. And then all the news items and uh, feedback items, for the most part, I'll, I'll add some, um, some uh, pictures uh, in your chapter-supported uh, podcast player. Now, if you're listening on, a lot of you listen on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, the, those kind of apps, the streaming apps. I don't think they support chapters. So, no, it's just, you're just going to get the generic podcast yeah, logo. Yeah. So if you are, if you want to see what we're talking about and, uh, you know, see that, cause we do put a lot of work. I mean, it's, it's not easy to do, man. We spend a lot of time doing it. But if you want to check that out, just, uh, you know, if you have an iPhone, you have probably, I don't know if a podcast is automatically now always there or if you have to I think download it, is. it. I don't even think you can get rid of it. Or maybe you can. Yeah. I don't have my phone in front of me. I think you can get rid of it. But I think you can now. It does come built yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's automatically there. And then if you want to remove it, you can do so. Yeah, it used to be where you don't. couldn't even get rid of it. Uh, but now I think you can. Uh, same thing with Android. I think Google Podcasts or something like that is the... Uh, the one that comes over, I don't know, uh, depends on the phone that you have. But anyway, there are a lot of great um, podcast players out there that do support chapters. So I just wanted to let you know that we we have that available for you if you want it. Oh, and the other thing is I noticed that on my own, in my own experience with Overcast, that's my favorite podcast player. Likewise. Um, when I first um, download the show, Sometimes it doesn't download the version that has the, well, I mean, it's the version that has the chapters, but for some reason, Overcast doesn't put them in there. And then I have to like delete it and then re-download it. And then the second time usually is when I see all the different chapter picks and that kind of thing. Oh, and by the way, not only do they have the pictures, but also links that uh, link to the news ar uh, article that we're talking about and uh, other good stuff. So a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff out there that uh, you should check out. <sighs> okay. Well done. Anything I missed, Liz? No, on that? I think that was really good. That okay. was great. Very valuable. And we'll try to remember oh. to do to um, mention that every now and then because we have new uh, listeners all the time and uh, may not be aware of all that stuff. And and regardless of whether or not you have a a, a podcast or using a podcast player that supports chapters. 
um, the show notes should be embedded as well. And uh, so, and I think most of them have active links so that you can, you know, click on and, and uh, actually go to those articles that we're actually, you know, using as a resource. Uh, so lots of, lots of good stuff out there for you. So check it out, but really, honestly, you need to, um, join us on Facebook live or actually preferably YouTube. Um, <laughs> shut up, Uber Frank. Frank. <laughs> this is, see, Just if you want to have top, start at the top, and take it again. <laughs> so, I appreciate that one. <laughs> Frank is being a smart aleck. Uh, Uber Frank, he calls himself, but Frank is a great guy. And I had a high opinion of him until just now. Uh, he was in our live audience and uh, giving me some crap. Uh, I know. It was, it was a lot of stuff there, Frank, that you already know about. But uh, you just shut up. Can you repeat and, all of the stuff? About no, I'm not going to repeat it. Yeah. Just hit stop or pause and then just go back. Hey, that's minutes. the magic of podcasting, isn't it? If it you is. miss something, you can just – and on your pod podcast app of choice it's probably got a little 30 second rewind or fast mm -hmm. forward button so if you're like if you're listening and then all of a sudden you just like space out from it and you're like wait that sounded like something i wanted to to hear you can rewind or if rick is talking and you're just like drowning in crickets you can fast forward <laughs> a little bit to the salient points no just kidding listen to all everything that rick says yeah super important. it's all good stuff okay so liz and i Come thought on. it would be a good idea to to talk about all these little things that uh, we take you know we just assume that everybody knows how to you know work their uh, the way real, around all that the real issue here steph is cap and jeff and i were a little too efficient getting through the news for, <laughs> for Liz's sort of, liking. these are delay tactics <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when there aren't four Stretch. of us on the Stretch. show yeah. all at the same time <laughs> yes liz is doing the <laughs> now while what he's saying stretch it out what nick is saying is sort of true but we uh, but uh, liz will vouch for me we did actually talk about before we even started the show that we should probably talk about this on the show yes. so we did yeah. no, important important to cover and maybe to be done at regular intervals going forward yeah. Yeah, every, six every months or something. i don't know 50 shows or something 25 shows yeah probably eh, ish yeah Okay. okay. Coffee fund. There coffee you go. Fund. It's time now for the coffee fund. And we have a little jingle that goes along with that, that uh, Jeff Smith, the podcast jingle master, uh, did for us. Johnny, how much more coffee? Go thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The Coffee Fund. That is your way, dear listener, to support us financially if you have the resources to do so, of course. If you need to save up that money for the roof over your head and clothing and food and flying, flying lessons, lessons. Uh, then don't send anything to us. Spend it on that kind of stuff. But if you have some leftover change and you want to support us financially, please consider it. Couch. And yeah, look look for the, the loose change in the couch. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, as uh, our former president says... Just send your cash. Exactly. Um, so a couple different ways that we have for you to engage in the coffee fund cadre or the coffee bar club. And uh, that is... Uh, First is the Coffee Fund Classic, the OG donation mechanism for the Airline Pilot Guy Show. 
And uh, since the last episode, Alistair, Alistair Kerr, Paul Gubb, Roman Zooks, and Randy Ackerman used that. Paul Gubb to, Gubby? Is that Gubby? I don't know if that's Gubby or not. It, probably. We don't know too many Gubbs out there. Hey, and, you know, we haven't been able to do this in several shows. We have a new patron via Patreon. Uh, Mark Yay. Craig. Thank you, Craig. Yay. I mean, Mark. <laughs> for uh, <laughs> or whatever you go by. Uh, thank you for joining uh, the patrons on Patreon. And uh, so if you want to learn about how you can become engaged in the financial aspect of the support of the show, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And as I like to say, you'll be glad you did. And we will, too. Captain, incoming message. All righty. This is from David. He says, can you preemptively play the crickets on this one? Okay, uh, let's uh, get the crickets going. Should be C. Yes. Yes, good. Okay, that's uh, just to get you ready for it. Okay. Uh, dear captains, Dr. Steph, dear captains, Dr. Steph, and Liz, and Nick C. I've been trying not to invoke my inner geek. This is David. But this 5G business has finally drawn me out. My day job as a chartered surveyor who advises landlords of mobile base station sites often involves giving clients safety advice around 5G and measuring the RF being emitted. Fortunately, in the UK, we do not really have the same concerns around airports as our higher band is between 13.4 and 3.6 gigahertz, uh, so further away from the frequency used by the radar altimeter. 5G is a radio wave just uh, the same as any other. The 5G element relates to the modulation coding, which, as Nick will know, is Nick A, Captain Nick, will know is uh, simply how the signal is coded. Essentially, it's nothing special. What is more of a problem, for testing at least, is the system has become very intelligent. Base stations can reduce their power and inversely increase their power automatically depending on the loading and requirements of the cell phones that are being serviced. This means that something that was perfectly fine one minute may in fact emit significantly higher radio frequencies the next. Hard for testing, sites can also beam form and direct their beam pattern towards the highest demand. Again, this is done on the fly intelligently, so makes testing somewhat hard work. Wow, I'm starting to really hear, can hear that. Wow. rain. Yeah. So, Steph, have you had a few beers yet? I have not. Ah, uh, shoot. And um, I'm drinking kombucha. Oh, that's no which good. This particular version clearly states on the label non-alcoholic. Uh, well, <laughs> would you like me to continue reading though? Why don't you continue reading and then I can mute my microphone so you don't Sounds hear all this racket here. Good. It's, it's we're almost through this feedback. Um, okay. He says, finally, one other point. During a previous show, Captain Jeff had said that handsets do not broadcast 5G on the frequencies concerning U.S. regulators. Unfortunately, that scores nil points. We need our 50% to thumbs down. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. If the phone is receiving in that frequency, it will transmit either on the same or a very close, depending on the type of, uh, or very same, very close frequency, I think he means, depending on the type of modulation being used. I apologize for going all geek on you. Please keep up the show and keep safe. Kind regards, David Powell. And he's included a picture of... I presume a base station, mobile base station. Not sure what that is. It, mm. it might be something that. Uh, 
Family show, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Something that we Family really show. shouldn't talk about on the show. <laughs> um, but, um, or maybe it's just I have a dirty mind. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, then why is it? I mean, I obviously you, you're the expert. I'm not, David. But why is it that they say that the actual handsets that people have that have 5G capability really aren't the issue for the airplanes that we're operating here in the U.S. around these? Could I take a guess? And I could be yeah. completely wrong, and David will probably write in to tell me that my guess also scores nil points. I'm thinking um, the signal that the handsets emit or produce are probably a lot smaller in comparison to what the um, base station is producing mm -hmm. or sending out because that's transmitting to all the handsets and the handsets aren't all sending back equivalent signal all at the same time. Yeah. Maybe. Probably. Yeah, maybe. And, and to be fair, I don't think I said that they don't broadcast 5G. I just said that, that the regulators here in the U.S. don't consider it an issue. But um, I don't know. Anyway, well, thank you for kind of setting us straight on that, David. But, you know, honestly, the practical um, uh, result of all this hoopla in the last couple of weeks regarding 5G implementation here in the U.S. has really been not that big of a deal, honestly. Yeah, very underwhelming. So maybe it wasn't quite as, you know dangerous or risky a, a situation how, as we thought. How does that affect you directly, Captain Jeff? Do you get, when you have trips that are going to someplace? <laughs> <laughs> if, you're, if you're not watching the video, Jeff has uh, just been like struck by something internal little, a, and has a little spasm having some mean. sort of convulsion <laughs> they, slash minor seizure. I'm not sure. Do, do they brief, do you get like new uh, documents with airports that are no longer capable of all the approaches that you used to be able to sh shoot? Or Aren't they be, in NOTAMs? Yeah, NOTAMs and notices to air missions. Um, Which are, are just a bunch of garbage. A bunch, just oh, a bunch of garbage. Thanks, yeah. Yeah, thanks Steph. Uh, here we go. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the former NTSB. <laughs> chairman never get old uh, yeah that never gets old um so yeah no tams are what are being used to kind of um, manage the situation and so for most of the airline fleets out there they have something called amoc or amoc we say or uh, alternate means of compliance like run uh, amok yeah oh, alternate means of <laughs> compliance. not quite run. yeah run okay. <laughs> yeah. run that <laughs> amok uh, but uh, I guess they've been doing some, you know, extensive testing on these various radar altimeters or radio altimeters installed on most of the major airline fleets. And they have found that uh, they haven't had any issues. And there are only a couple of and, and this is something that is um, uh, the NOTAMs are updated daily and maybe several times a day um, that we, you know, when we check our NOTAMs for. Of our flights, we look and see if where we're going is affected at all by this um, this 5G RA kind of uh, issue. And um, my fleet is amongst the uh, fleets out there that um, apparently the uh, radio altimeters aren't really 
uh, significantly affected or affected at all. Uh, but there are usually is a list of airports that they say this alternate means of compliance um, is good for all the airports except these listed. And that no, that listing of airports is becoming smaller and smaller every day that I've noticed. Uh, but uh, air, in fact, the first uh, day of our trip, we went to Huntsville and back uh, for our first uh, turn on our on our trip. And that was one of the airports listed as ones that that uh, alternate means of compliance does not apply. And uh, but fortunately, that day, the weather was beautiful, uh, VMC. So we didn't really have to worry about using radio altimetry for uh, low visibility approaches or auto land approaches and that kind of thing. Uh, but then the next day we noticed Brent said, hey, Jeff, look, the uh, Huntsville Airport is not listed anymore. So it's an ongoing constantly updated kind of a uh, management of these uh, airports that have uh, possible issues with um, 5G. Yeah, so as they're testing them and figuring out what's uh, workable and not, they're updating everything on a in a real-time mm -hmm. basis. That's good. And Tom in our, uh, in our live audience says the CRJ, uh, he's, he's a, a CRJ, CRJ captain. captain. He says, uh, we seem to be in the same boat, similar AMOC for us as you just described so yeah yeah and just real quick tom is longtime listener first time interacting so welcome yeah, to the chat. Oh, several excellent. Of them today. well welcome yeah, tom what, what the where the heck have you been probably no just kidding we're glad that you're here and i i hope that you have a good time with this uh crazy group of uh chatters Black jobs uh, trollers in the chat room all right uh anything else to say regarding 5G and RA and all that kind of stuff. Probably way more than we needed to say. We've right? beaten that dead horse. Well, I think he actually, he, he made it, uh, you know, a topic that I think is a little esoteric for a lot of us. He, he distilled it pretty well. Do Captain yeah. Al has a great thing uh, that he did for the PTUK. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank you, Liz. On the Plain Talking UK podcast, PTUK, Captain Al, who is just an awesome guy, I mean, a very... Uh, intelligent, learned, um, and good-looking um, captain uh, for Airbus um, captain, huh? Airbus, Airbus captain. captain, yeah, mm -hmm. and and uh, and like Czech airman, and you know, like uh, you know, top-notch pilot. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. he uh, did a special, basically, a, almost the entire episode was uh, kind right. of uh, de devoted to this whole radio altimeter five G thing. And um, I'll hopefully remember to put a link to that episode in our show notes, and you can uh, listen to Captain Al talk all about it. I mean, he covered everything extremely well. So uh, Captain Al is a great guy, and um, it's definitely great worth instructor. listening to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's thank get you for on mentioning to some that, beer Liz. talk. Beer yeah. Talk. Now let's get on to something which is much more important, which is, mm. of course, beer. <laughs> and. Before I engage in this um, this feedback, I'm going to take a nice sip of my uh, Scofflaw basement. basement. And again, I do apologize for all the background ambiance. The uh, You're not in charge. Rain the, it sounds like we've all had a, some ambiance tonight. Yeah. When I first joined, I could hear Nixie's um, family. My wild um, children in the yeah, background. Yep. Running a little wild, and then my dogs decided to um, lose their minds over my neighbors just having a casual conversation 
you know, outside their house next door. And um, hmm. now you've got rain at your place. So yeah. it's been a... That's just... Just, just, just covered all the bases do. there. That's what mm-hmm. we do here. Makes it real. Yeah, makes it real. Grassroots and all that. Okay, Eric sent in some feedback, and he said, uh, since Delta is a sister airline of Acme, I thought this might be of interest. Now, I know there are people who fly Delta for the Biscoff cookies. I, on the other hand, fly Delta for the Sweetwater 420. Uh, being from Michigan, we have a lot of great local beer, but what we don't have is Sweetwater at least in my part of the state. So while I rarely pay airline prices for beer, I do take advantage of the opportunity to indulge in a Sweetwater 420 when I fly Delta. Imagine my surprise last week when I ordered a Sweetwater only to be handed a yellow can that clearly didn't say 420 on it. I got a bit scared when the name on the can was Airline Beer. Another (laughs) cost measure by substituting Paps Blue Ribbon PBR for real beer perhaps just near beer to help save the world from drunken passengers. To my surprise, when reading the fine print more carefully, it was actually brewed by Sweetwater exclusively for Delta. I believe the thought was that it would pair perfectly with Biscoff cookies. Even though the name isn't very original, the beer was quite tasty and it did pair nicely. And I have to say, well, I'll I'll eye on that at the end here. I'd actually been thinking about booking a flight on Mm -hmm. Acme rather than Delta the next time around. I just don't think they can compete, though. With all those beer experts on the APG, why can't they offer something special for the quality beer drinkers of the world to enjoy? Until they do, I'm sticking with my Biscoff paired with fine airline beer. And again, this is Eric Smith. So um, Liz has on our video version... And if you're looking at the show notes, uh, we'll probably have a link to this as well. Uh, the label from Sweetwater Brewing Company, which is a uh, Atlanta, one of many Atlanta brewers, uh, that uh, so basically they, well, I should probably read the label here. It says the, the name of the beer actually is Hazy IPA or Elevated Hazy IPA, uh, brewed for high altitudes. Uh, did you know? The sensitivity of your taste buds reduces with altitude. It's why we Ding. elevated. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah, because we've actually talked about that on our mm-hmm. show on previous episodes. It's why we elevated our acclaimed hazy, and I don't know what, it's H period, A period, Z period, Y period. So I'm not sure what that acronym actually stands oh, for with Sweetwater. Awesome. Uh, but hazy IPA recipe together with Delta Airlines, brewed specifically to be enjoyed on a Delta flight at 35,000 feet. This double dry hop of Mosaic, Citra, Eldorado, and Azaka? Azaka? It's very fine print here. I well, really... there's your there's your answer. Uh, on, oh, no, not exactly. What was it? A-Z-A-C-A, I think. Exactly. I'm, I'm, oh, okay. Again, yeah, I'm, just I'm not sure because it's kind of fuzzy. I was just listening. I wasn't watching at the moment, and it sounded okay. like you were saying things that had the letters of the acronym, but it does not. So oh, that's my bad. No. No, um, not, not even close. Just it creates disregard. even uh, a more enhanced aromas of mango, stone, stone fruit, lime, stone fruit. And, lime and pine. Pine. Just a tasty in the clouds. Just, just as, as tasty, tasty oh, in the clouds just as the as, original. I'll let Steph continue because I can't read it. <laughs> just as tasty <laughs> in the clouds as the original Sweetwater Hazy IPA is on the ground. Yeah. 
So I was on a on my so it sounds like they've trip. they've hopped it more or something. Yeah, it's it's high more highly hopped to kind of you know it's all hopped up like jacked up uh, like uh, because your taste buds are less sensitive uh, as as you uh, get higher in altitude. And uh, I had one. I um, was on a um, uh, Acme has a special um, relationship to uh, Delta Airlines and. I was a passenger on Delta on the way back to Atlanta last week, and I asked if they had a Sweetwater Hazy IPA, and they did, and I enjoyed it, and it was really, really good. Uh, Does that mean they're serving alcohol again? I'm very oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been. Oh, yeah? Oh, or they okay. have. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. They have been serving alcohol for quite some time. Yeah, it's not 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 to the cockpit crews. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a red eye flight coming up, and that would really be nice, um, you know, on departure to. Oh, it's really good. Enjoy if, one of those. Yeah. If you ever uh, fly that airline, uh, I will be should... flying that airline uh, in within the next week and a half. Oh, good. On a red eye, so I will. Uh, yeah, so that'll help I'll... you get get off to La La Land. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll bring my review back of it as well. Yeah, it sounds well, like Aaron's, Eric's a fan, so I'm, I'm a fan as trying. well. And uh, I, it, on a on a trip before that, I guess I don't know how it happened uh, that they actually got some of these things on an Acme flight. But uh, I was talking to the flight attendants and asking about this beer, and he, uh, the flight attendant, grabbed one and 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 brought it up to us in the cockpit. And I guess they, after we were finished talking about it, put it on the like the jump seat. And uh, somebody said, you know, I think oh, I'm going to no. take this and put it <laughs> back over here. This is not a good look. Not, no, this is not where this needs to <laughs> oh, be, actually. That's when the FAA <laughs> Although, Eric, I will board. say, um, my favorite beer actually comes from your home state of Michigan. Um, big oh, fan of Founders, founders. Yeah. and all-day IPAs. Those are my, my favorites. So. Yeah, Founders makes some awesome mm-hmm. beer. Founders makes a lot of good beers. Yeah. Jeff, so does Sweetwater. Dog, didn't Brewdog do Big the same thing for British Airways? Very cool. Brew some special beer for British uh, Airways? Did Brewdogs do some special beers for British Airways? I don't know. Yes, they did. Okay. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely they did. I forget what uh, it was called, but um, um, yeah, British Airways has a Brewdog know, but, um, yeah. beer. Let me see. Mm-hmm. I've Very definitely nice. had it. Okay. Well... Kind of uh, keeping with the um, beer and hop um, uh, theme. It was called the Speedbird 100. Sorry. Speedbird 100. Okay. Well, the next item in our feedback is from Greg Peterson, and he's uh, pointing us to uh, an incident um, from a hop, ERJ, uh, in this case, though, hop, I don't believe has anything to do with Hops oh, good, segue, good segue, though. Uh, but a hop ERJ takeoff disrupted Autoland approach for a trailing 717. And Greg says, looks like the Funyuns were lining up all over the place on this one. Uh, ATC clearing them for takeoff. The pilots accepting the clearance when they were 350 meters from the stop bar. ATC not issuing a go around. Looks like a mess all around. And again, this is from our big ass fan, Greg Peterson in Lexington. He works for the big ass fan company. Yes, that is really the name of the company. We're not making that up. Okay, so this is from the flightglobal.com. French investigators believe an Embraer ERJ 145 crew's premature acceptance. Hmm, that's, that's embarrassing. embarrassing. Yeah, of takeoff clearance, disrupted the landing of a Boeing 717 on low visibility approach to the same Strasbourg runway. 
Investigation Authority BEA says Cat 3 conditions prevailed at the time. That's very low visibility for those of you not familiar with the uh, designations of uh, category ILS approaches. Um, the crew of the HOP ERJ-145 bound for Amsterdam had accepted an immediate takeo clearance. <laughs> it's like takeo medic, takeoff medic clearance. <laughs> Every time take they refer to takeoff, like they say take dash O, which I think is really funny. A takeo clearance uh, while still 350 meters from the runway stop bar. Owing to the reduced visibility and absence of ground radar, the controller was unaware of the ERJ's position. The BEA says the ERJ pilots could not judge whether they were capable of carrying out an immediate takeoff and the carrier's procedures would not have permitted it because they had not received readiness confirmation from the cabin crew. But it believes the pilot's decision was motivated by their wanting to meet the takeoff slot. The Volatea 717 was conducting an automatic Category 3 approach to Runway 23 at the time. Investigators found that the ERJ-145 had not cleared the sensitive ILS zone before the 717 was authorized to land. Although the 717 crew had been advised of the departing ERJ while 2.8 nautical miles from the threshold, the ERJ only started applying takeoff power when the 717 was about one nautical mile from touchdown. That's close. close. Yeah, very close. The controller did not instruct the 717 to execute a go-around. Instead, cleared its crew to land as the ERJ lifted off, even though the HOP aircraft had not cleared the sensitive zone of the ILS system. Um, BEA says this was contrary to Air Navigation Services procedures, but adds that the controller uh, wanted to avoid having the more complex situation of two aircraft flying in close proximity without visual contact. The inquiry points out, however, that during the R, I don't know, there's something was missing here on this. And we missed some, during the event, maybe, uh, arrival, the approach, the landing, the deviated to the left of the center line, the the R, uh, the 717 deviated to the left of the center line and its captain intervened to correct the course and land the aircraft. Uh, the BEA believes the automatic landing was probably disrupted by the ERJ's presence in the sensitive area of the ILS. It's a, an electronic signal, uh, the antenna for which is located on the far end, the departure end of the runway. Um, and so it most likely did interrupt the uh, the signal. Although it, it acknowledges that the possibility of wake turbulence from the ERJ cannot be ruled out. I doubt that that would be the case. Anyway, uh, none of, nobody was injured here. The BEA, which has newly released its findings on the incident, states that the, con- the controller communicated with the 717 crew in English and the HOP crew in French, although it's not been able to ascertain whether the use of English throughout might have altered the outcome. And I will say, this is not part of the uh, the article or report, I think it probably had a made a big difference because if you don't know French and you hear somebody speaking French and you have no idea what they're saying, you may not understand that what they're trying to say is that somebody's being cleared for takeoff while you're executing a low visibility category three auto land approach to the same runway. And I guarantee you that if they had known that, they would have done something to prevent this from occurring. Yeah, they would have initiated a go around or something, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, like when I would be flying around, uh, or still am, I guess. I'm still a VFR pilot. When I, you know, when I'm flying around and, and uh, people are using, especially in uncontrolled airport environments, and people are using uh, like IFR fixes and stuff to call out their positions, to a lot of pilots, that that means nothing. You know, like they could be the next state over. Mm-hmm. For all, for all you know, and I'm sure it's the same. Or way even if they're these... using VFR fixes, there's, well, a, yeah. there's a local airport, um, one of one of the next airports over that's on the same CTAF frequency. It's not uncommon to hear pilots, um, you know, approaching there, and maybe even in the pattern reporting over the water tower. And I've flown <laughs> near that airport, and there are multiple water towers in the vicinity. Yeah, which one? And I'm, I'm still not sure which one they're referring to, but it's like I get a good laugh out of it every time. Ooh, the infamous water tower. Like, where's your water tower? You'd ha- yeah. You need to ask one of these times, Steph. Yeah. Yeah, hey, what, where, where is this water tower? Can you tell water me? Water like, tower what, are you talking what, about? What, what, I have no idea. <laughs> Communication yeah. so important and important. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just you got to hear what's going on to kind of be fully aware and fully safe in all these situations. Whether it, Jeff, be, don't you fly into Montreal every now and then and do I, hear some yes, French? Yes, yes. Liz is asking me, don't you fall, fly into Montreal every now and then and don't you hear you know different languages being used? And yes, I do, and it's frustrating because yeah. I I don't speak French. I don't know what they're talking about, and I want to know, you know, what's going on out there because I'm always creating this, you know, this. Uh, spatial mental 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 picture picture. in my head of where everybody is and what they're experiencing and what they're doing and i think that uh, it really degrades safety when you you don't get that information um and i think a lot of pilots agree with me regarding so a big a big addition to that for us is just having um ability to receive adsb signal um so especially when you're um Flying places where maybe people aren't talking on the radio all the time because they're not technically required to. Um, uh, for GA aircraft, I think that's been a huge thing. Obviously, you can't rely 100% on it. Um, you know, and you need, but just in terms of building your situational awareness, it really helps if there's a target on your screen. You're going, I haven't heard anything from this person. I'm not really sure what their intentions are. And then you can just be a little bit more um, heads up and aware that there's something going on over here uh, and be on the lookout for that. Right. But just the information, I mean, just seeing the information, that's that's good, but mm-hmm. you're really not sure, as you just said, you know, you don't really know, well, what are they doing? I mean, I see something's out there. Are they going away or going this way? Or are they climbing their descent? You know, um, it's nice to hear that, sure. you know, verbal communication. It's and, nice to have, to have both components of it when you can, because yeah. then it really just makes the, the the picture that you built in your mind that much more rich if you don't have visual um if you haven't visually acquired the other aircraft. Right. Now, Neil Wan- uh, Landwarm in the, uh, in the live audience is asking, uh, do you speak Canadian, Jeff? Uh, not very well. I understand <laughs> some of it, but not all of it. <laughs> Don't I know? You, you know, another... He, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I was, he's mostly confused by what Liz is saying to him right now, but he's pretending to he's just going mm-hmm. along with it. Yeah, just <laughs> nodding and smiling. Uh, yeah. Another point I wanted to make was this comment where they said, BEA said this was contrary to Air Navigation Service procedures, but adds that the controller wanted to avoid having the more complex situation of aircraft flying in close proximity without visual contact. And that kind of reminds me of a, a story that, uh, you know, the two controller guys were, were telling from the magical... Uh, the mythical triad. The mythical triangle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> triad. Um, 
you know, where they had like one guy taking off and one guy went around and both of them went into the clouds at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. And there was like, there was like a moment of silence and, and I think he was a trainee. I don't remember if it I, was I heard AG that story and I'm trying to remember all the yeah, it was uh, a trainee. details of it, but I, I, I and it was a trainee story. and the, and the guy who was training him was like, you got to give one of them a turn. <laughs> and, uh, you know, which like I get having two airplanes go in the clouds close to each other could be unnerving, but it seems like you turn each of those guys 10 degrees in opposite directions. And that problem is immediately solved. Right. Whereas if you have someone coming in on a cat three landing Auto situation land. and, and they have an equipment issue when they can't see anything within tens of feet of the, of the ground, I can't imagine a more complex issue than, a pilot being like, oh, I'm 50 feet above the ground. Can't see anything. And my airplane stopped flying itself. <laughs> yeah. So that seems like that was maybe not the right, to me, maybe not the right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think decision. they're excusing the controller um, working contrary to procedures here. I think they're just saying this was yeah. his rationale for why he continued with that. Yeah. Um, you know, but to bring that up as a learning point to, you know, think through all those scenarios and consequences, which is the, you know, what is the correct thing to do here? Right. And right. Probably not that. So, <laughs> really. yeah, yeah, not that. It can be a, can be a learning point. Absolutely. Jeff, All before right. you move on, this is such a cool comment by Tim Van Ram. Oh, Just Tim Van Ram is making a comment. Uh, Speedbird is my, or S-P-D-B-Y-R-D, is my license plate on my 1962 Thunderbird. Not too many folks can figure out that it means Speedbird. Huh. Probably not. That's just really cool. That is cool. On his Thunderbird. On his Thunderbird. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nice, Tim. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's move on to this next feedback item from Gustav. Um, he says, uh, sent feedback earlier today, but I made two additions on the time. Okay. Let's see. Good day. Hope all is well with you guys. Some drone news coming out of Sweden this week where at least one big drone was flying above one of our nuclear power plants. And there is talk that drones have been seen over other nuclear power plants here in Sweden too. Word on the street is that these things fly fast at significant altitudes and that they can stick around for hours. And although those details aren't confirmed, these are not DJI drones. Uh, As there are some people who think that these might be connected to a foreign power. I wonder how small drones do you think a fighter actually take out? I understand that one could never take down a toy sized drone, but these drones that are mentioned in the article must be pretty substantial. On a lighter note, I saw this post from the air and space museum the predecessor to the mad dog. And I thought of you guys, as I hear it, Acme replaced these airplanes with the mad dog. And the reason for why the mad dogs came with chemtrail equipment installed was so that they could continue aerial crop dusting operations. But maybe that's just fake news. Yeah, I think that's fake news. This is from Instagram. There's the uh, picture of the Huff Deland or Huff Deland. I'm not sure the, how they pronounce that. Uh, the dusters, the uh, this, the origins of um, uh, Delta Airlines um, in, uh, in the Mississippi Delta, uh, the river, Mississippi River Delta, region of the United States. And that's why the airline was named Delta. Uh, it was the Huff Deland Duster Company, the nation's first aerial dusting business. And uh, this duster here is uh, pictured at the uh, the Udvar Hazy Center. 
designed in 1925 for a new method of controlling agricultural insect pests, aerial crop dusting. Yeah, that's how the Delta Airlines came about. And then uh, they started carrying passengers, and then the rest, as they say, is history. And their their wings did mm-hmm. not fall off. The wings did not fall off. Yes, you're right, Liz. Uh, not <laughs> they like didn't the... uh, collapse up on, <laughs> yeah. onto themselves. Uh, because they didn't put holes in them. Yeah, you know? they're attached a little bit differently. It's just one solid wing across the top. <laughs> you know, like Nick was talking about last week, uh, that you know, you know, he was he didn't want to put a hole in his wing of yeah. his debonair. True. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so very cool. That's very very funny. <laughs> uh, Gustav. Um, anyway, uh, he also anything included... about the the drones? Yeah. Oh, I, I just any. Any commentary on the drones? Oh, I don't know that I really have much no, to add I, to that. Kind of a odd thing. Certainly, I think nuclear power plants are a prohibited um, place to fly your drones here in the United States, if I remember correctly, um, or within a certain radius. Mm-hmm. Probably but, the same in Sweden as well. I would, I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah there's but, a. Yeah, I don't have a link to uh, Reuters.com article regarding the. Um, the drones uh, near three nuclear plants. So if you want to learn more about that, just uh, look look up the show notes and uh, you'll uh, be pointed to that. All right. Let's continue with this. This is exciting. We talked about um, this uh, young lady on an earlier episode of the Airline Pilot Guy show, but uh, Tim Van Ram, who is in our live audience, uh, in his this in his, his hot, hot tub? tub? Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, uh, it was earlier. Yeah. Low life. Um, <laughs> that sounds nice. I might do that afterwards once um, the production assistant's finished cleaning it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe then he'll bring me a drink while I sit up there and enjoy the the nice warm that would be nice. bubbles. Yeah. Pictures will be uh, requested. Okay. Nope. Um, anyway, uh, Tim says, uh, hi, APG show. I'm sure I won't be the only one sharing this breaking news of this wonder feat that was just accomplished by 19-year-old Zara Rutherford of Belgium in flying solo around the world as the youngest woman to do so. I'm happy to submit this news for the show, if not only to hear Captain Jeff pronounce the airport in Belgium where she finally landed to complete her adventure. <laughs> well, that's if I even try. I don't think I will to uh, <laughs> pronounce this. Um, so a teenage... Aviator Zara Rutherford has become the youngest woman to fly around the world solo. The 19-year-old, who has dual British-Belgian nationality, landed at uh, Kordrick-Velgen <laughs> Airport. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> I got it! In Western Belgium. I mean, I don't think anybody can fault that pronunciation whatsoever. Uh, she completed an epic 41-country journey spanning over 52,000 kilometers. 32,300 miles and broke two Guinness world records in the process. I made it Rutherford who received a rapturous welcome on her arrival told reporters. Not only has she beaten the record held by American uh, Shasta ways. Is that the way you pronounce that stuff? Ways? Sure. Okay. I had no idea. Who was 30 years old when she circumnavigated the globe unaccompanied in 2017. Rutherford also now holds the title for the first woman to circumnavigate the world in a micro-light aircraft. She's also the first Belgian to fly around the world alone. However, the teenager's route to glory hasn't been without its challenges. When she departed on August 18, 2021 in a bespoke Shark ultralight aircraft, 
She believed her aerial escapade would take about three months. Teenage pilot Zara Rutherford lands in Bel... Oh, that's a caption for an image. Uh, but she was plagued by setbacks, including month-long delays in both Alaska and Russia due to visa and weather issues, pushing her schedule back eight weeks. She said, I would say the hardest part was definitely flying over Siberia. It was extremely cold. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it was minus 35 degrees Celsius on the ground. Yeah, that's cold. Uh, Rutherford said during a press conference on Thursday, if the engine were to stall, I'd be hours away from rescue. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how long I could have survived uh, if that had happened. She was also forced to make an unscheduled landing in Redding, California, due to poor visibility as a result of the wildfires in the Seattle area and was later denied permission to fly over China. I was hoping to complete it by Christmas, but I guess that's not happening anymore, she told reporters at Gimpo International Airport in Seoul, South Korea, after arriving from Vladivostok in, uh, on December 13th. But it's an adventure. So anyway, she flew to an array of destinations such as Singapore, Egypt, and Greece, Russia, South Korea, uh, but she was unable to explore any of them on land due to COVID-19 restrictions. By my sad sound. Nope, not that one. Yeah, work sometimes. It's a wah, wah, wah. Yeah. The final leg of her journey was also hit with delays due to bad weather, which meant her completion date was moved back another week. Um, anyway, so it talks a little bit more about Zara and, uh, that's quite an accomplishment for, um, anyone, um, especially somebody as young and, um, regardless of the gender, uh, that's a, an amazing accomplishment. And, um, anyway, fly Zolo yeah, cool. is the website. If you want to learn more about this whole thing and we'll have all this, uh, linked in the show notes. What do you think, Steph? Are you going to go out there and try to beat? Oh, never mind. You're a little bit older than that. Too late. <laughs> I have to think of some other kind of around the world challenge, like, um, you know, drink a beer at each stop, um, you know, or each end of day. With your hands tied behind your back. Yeah. I don't know. Local well, beverage. And uh, I don't know. Surely there's some sort of way we can make this a yeah. Guinness record. Run a fly to a destination, run a marathon, fly to next destination, Ooh. run a marathon, do that all the way around. And drink the world. beer while and running. drink beer. I think we can combine a lot of things, just make yeah. it an impossible record to break. I'll be there to to, to record this phenomenal Excellent. Excellent. journey. <laughs> Lectures on shimmy dampers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It has all the makings of a of a of a movie, maybe. T V movie. I think so. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah <it's> straight to, <laughs> straight to DVD. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, anything else to say? Uh, no, very cool. Um, congratulations to her. That's a huge accomplishment. A lot of logistics. I, I'm not even sure. Uh, I, you know, took her however many, a little more than three months to complete it, but I'm sure a lot more time went into the planning, logistics, and funding, and, yeah. and you know, securing sponsors, and that aircraft that was, you know, bespoke for her. Lots of, lots of stuff goes into that. So, congratulations to her and her whole team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the uh, Plane Talking UK podcast uh, are working hard to coordinate um, an in interview with uh, Oh, that Zara. would be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this next one, um, Liz is stepping away in the background, so I'm going to have to do this on my 
on my own. Hopefully I can do this. Uh, this is from Larry, uh, some feedback. Uh, he says, uh, this wasn't an Acme flight. Okay. Um, another classic bit of reporting. I was a bit confused as to where the other six people come from or came from. Uh, quote, the flight's 13 customers deplaned safely. And then another quote, the 19 passengers on board the aircraft were not injured. <laughs> well, I don't, I'm not sure. Are we sure it was the CRJ? The picture's got an A321. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Hang on. Hang oh, on. I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Okay. So oh, sorry. Uh, let me show you a picture in the article of the CRJ 900 that uh, was involved in this uh, incident. There you go. Oh, no, I was wrong. It's not a, uh, yeah, it is a. It is a 7.5. 7.5, seven, seven yeah. Yeah. My bad. That's not a CRJ. <laughs> not a CRJ. It's not the new under engine, under in, under wing engine variant of the CRJ. It's the stretch uh, version. Another uh, nailed it from the Ding. journalist here. Um, anyway, uh, although to the, be fair, the caption does not claim that that was the aircraft. Um, no in question. It doesn't, but the, it's kind nice. of how hard is it to find a picture of a CRJ nine hundred? Like all you have to do is Google CRJ nine hundred. Obviously, Surely it's they very have that difficult. in their, their image files. I don't know. Anyway. But they're thinking, well, it doesn't matter. And you know what? Honestly, <laughs> for like 90-something percent of the people reading the article, uh, they wouldn't know any different either, would they? Or care. Uh, but anyway, the article talks about, this is from Fox 23 News. In Raleigh, North Carolina, um, a, a Delta Airlines jet, which is not really a Delta Airlines jet, although it's operated for Delta Airlines by another air carrier, uh, skidded off the runway at Raleigh-Durham International Airport during icy conditions on a Friday night, causing the airfield to be closed for about an hour. Delta Flight 5501 landed safely about 9 p.m. Eastern after arriving from Washington. But while taxiing to the gate at the North Carolina airport, it rolled into the mud. Okay, so... So many things wrong with this. It did not skid off a runway. Mm -mm. It was not on the runway. It was on mm -mm. a taxiway, or actually, in this case, a ramp. And uh, it just, it was but so icy. it didn't icy. really, it wasn't like skidding. It just, you know, I don't know. Well, this, this, and. Skidding uh, makes it sound like they, like, you know, were trying to stop on the runway and weren't able to. And no, it was just yeah. icy and they slid like the car a little bit. <laughs> What'd you say, Liz? Like the cargo guys? Like the cargo guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a little different. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and this is something that uh, a point should be made here, that usually the the services at these airports when it's icy slash snowy, wintry conditions, do a really, really good job of the runways themselves. I mean, those runways are really treated well. Uh, but as soon as you get off the runway and onto the taxiways, they're probably not prepared or taken care of as well as the runway. And then when you get into the ramp areas, they may not have done a darn thing on the ramps. And so you just cannot be too careful when you're, pardon me? Okay. Uh, you can't be too careful when it comes to uh, taxiing the airplane around when you have these kind of conditions, especially on the, you know, especially taxiways, but especially the ramps. And uh, you just have to assume that that ramp that you're going to be taxiing your airplane on probably has not been treated and it's going to be like an, an ice skating rink and uh, got to keep both engines running and you got to have, you know, have all those uh, control 
devices like your engines and reverse thrust and everything available to you and just in case you can you know you might need them to keep the airplane from getting off so i think i think the the day this happened um this was probably earlier um or last week last weekend sometime um i was up in the uh not quite in raleigh but um kind of halfway between here and there um and I noted we were staying at a hotel for the weekend and they did a really good job. The analogy is they did a really good job of like salting and treating the reception area, you know, where you drive up to the, the front of the hotel and the area right there. But then just around the corner where you park, the accessible really? ramp, like the <laughs> handicap ramp, oh, they good. didn't do a darn thing with. And I was like, <laughs> you would think of all places that you'd yeah. want to maybe shovel and treat. This might take a higher priority. Never yeah. once got touched the whole weekend as far as I can oh, tell. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, it was. was Sounds like like lawsuit. Uh Wow. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. So just be careful out there, people. And uh, yeah, when it comes to this, you know, I know many of you who listening listening to the show have uh, actually been passengers on flights that I've uh, uh, been captain on. And and many of you may say that I like to taxi the airplane on the. Yes. On a on a uh, on the more southwest side, yes, yeah, like more do. like a southwest taxiing speed. Uh, yeah, I admit it. I, I do like to. Uh, I don't like dilly dallying around. But let me tell you, this guy that you uh, you know have experienced when uh, when it comes to slippery, icy, snowy, wintry kind of weather, I'm crawling. I mean, once I start heading for the taxiway exit of the runway, I'm very very deliberate and careful on those because I just know. Uh, and I've felt it before. The airplane just starts mm. going like a it's direction. Not a good you're feeling. Not expecting yeah. it and going, no, no, no. <laughs> this is no good. Yeah. So I, I'm very careful when it comes to that. I think most of us are out there. So sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out so well. All right. Um, Texas Charlie uh, sent us in some audio feedback, but I'm going to read what he says here first. Hi, y'all. Greetings from the Oklahoma Prairie. Hope this New Year's done smiled on y'all and is bringing health and joy to you and your loved ones our friend and partner texas charlie dunn showed me how to record i need you to read this in a better southern accent you want to not even southern but i can give it a try and if i if i'm terrible nick can take over for Mm -hmm. me here all right no uh go so our friend and partner texas charlie dunn showed me how to record on this phone of mine so and i don't have to use my radio shack tape recorder anymore (laughs) <laughs> Those Texans are an uppity bunch with about as much sense as a gnat, but they're good folk. <laughs> I done stuck my recording to this electronic letter. It's mostly a tip of my hat to Dr. Steph and her earth plummeting hobby. I also done stuck a photo of me in our new plane, Natasha, and the girls. The girls would say, howdy, but mostly they say, moo. <laughs> Gary, our lead flight attendant, also wanted to say hi, so I stuck on a photo of him as well. We find hiring rodeo clowns as flight attendants is great for business. <laughs> They don't put up with no bull, bull hockey from any of... Sorry, I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> Let's start over on that one. They don't put up with no bull hockey from any drunken greenhorns, and they also entertain the kids. Y'all keep up the fine work, and as my grandpa Silas always said, live each day with courage. Take pride in your work, and as long as I got a biscuit, y'all got half. Or you got half. Meaning, face the day standing tall, feeling good, and with charity in your heart. Y'all have fun, you hear? Your friend, Ginky. Genki. All right. Um, so how'd I do? Was that okay? Oh, that was awesome. (laughs) Very nice job. Uh, so, uh, we have the audio feedback coming right now from Genki. This is Genki Farkenwhistle. Maybe you remember me. 
I fly the right seat for Oki Air. I can't tell you how much your little mention of our airline on your show has done for us. Only yesterday our outfit was so small you'd have to stand up to look a rattler in the eye. Today we got more passengers than a bull's butt got flies. We've <laughs> never before had to worry about overbooking a flight, and you want to tread lightly when bumping a hick who's been wrestling steers all morning. I don't like getting thrown down and tied up. Things are so good, we done bought ourselves a new plane. Natasha's a Tupelo 138. She's a bit like my sister Beulah after she was kicked in the head by that mule. She's a bit different, but everyone still loves her. We got our TU-138 on eBay, and she's the partiest thing you ever laid eyes on. Those Ruskies made her for unpaved runways, perfect for our West Texas routes. And I like looking out her glass nose cone. It's as clear as spring water in Mama's best crystal. Dr. Steph. I envy your time under the sheet. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I mean your, your parachute. As a young'un, I just reckoned you jumpers threw yourselves out of a perfectly good plane because you were nuttier than a squirrel's turd. Then I gone and done it. Now, I only <laughs> jumped once, and it was back in the 80s. I was a freshman at Tulsa Tech, and I saw a poster talking about instruction and a static line jump for $100. $100 that I could afford about as much as Aunt Addie could afford another 100 pounds. But that was the best $100 I ever done spent. It was all as primitive as a barnwood buckboard. We were told that we'd be using a round army surplus chute, and over the next few days we practiced our landings by jumping backwards off a milking stool, pretended to wrangle the chute by using imaginary toggles, and read our instruction manuals. We were then warned that during our real jump, we would hit the ground a bit harder than jumping off a stool. It'd be more like jumping off a 10-foot wall, facing backwards, and then gracefully falling onto the backside by rolling from the balls of our feet to the side of our ankle to our thigh to our butt and then on the back. Slick as a whistle. Must have practiced it more times than a preacher's daughter being kissed. And that's a lot. A few days later, I was plunked down next to three other newbies sitting in a small, single-engine plane, flying at 3,000 feet. Sitting there, just looking at the jump master as he opened the sliding door while flying around at 3,000 feet. Did I mention that we were 3,000 feet? That's high enough to get killed and low enough to get killed. <laughs> but I was probably too much in shock to think about it. The next thing I knew, the feller looked at me yelling, Step up to the door! I moved forward toward the light filtering through the opening and the man took my static line and clipped it to the side of the plane. The pilot cut the engine, and the jump master shouted, Step out! I stepped out through the open door, placing one foot on the wheel pant and the other on the wheel strut while holding tight on the wing brace. I remember that it was deathly quiet, like the dark prairie night after a rain done passed. Quiet, except for the sound of the cold wind passing over my helmet. No engine noise, no one speaking, not even the beat of my heart, nor the sound of my breath. That moment became an eternity, the most beautiful sensation of my life, like that first moment you take your baby into your arms, and then back to reality with a slap on my back from the jump master and my training kicked in. I pushed off with my feet, let go of the brace, and began falling face first to the ground. The rest was like riding a bull. It's never easy. 
Just let your training take over and the ride will usually end up with you in one piece. So per my training, I started counting. One, I've left the plane. Two, static line done pulled out my chute. Three, the chute's done popped. Four, look up at the chute. Five, check for tangled lines. Six, if the chute's done fouled, yank the reserve cord and pop the pack hard with the butt of my hand so as to give it a little incentive. <laughs> but the cords and canopy were in dandy shape. Good thing, because seven would have been the reserve chute popping open, and eight would have been me hitting the ground if when the reserve didn't do its job. Looking up at the now open main chute, the fabric dome filled the sky. I pulled my right toggle, the right vent closed, and I slowly turned round to the right. I did the same thing with the left toggle, and I slowly spun left. For a few minutes, I felt alone in the sky, like a lonely hawk riding a thermal on a warm day. The quiet emptiness around me was both beautiful and impossible to describe. I looked down to see our small group of instructors looking up at us jumpers, and as clear as a lone calf bleating in the night, I could hear the guys on the ground talking, even though I was still far above. Then reality gave me a little pop with his finger. I looked round below me and saw that I had drifted over a dagnap forest and was some hundred yards to the north of the clearing that was our landing zone. I toggled right to steer and spin toward the clearing, but with a stiff tailwind I knew that I would have to turn back around before landing so when I wouldn't hit the ground going forward as fast as a jackrabbit. I cleared them trees by breath, toggled a slow spin right, and lined up with what I thought would be a perfect landing. So as per my training, while traveling backwards at about three miles per hour, I extended my toes and touched the ground. All I could think was tips of toes, balls of feet, side of ankle, side of thigh, roll on to butt, and then on to back. Well, physics had other ideas, and a second later, the back of my helmeted head slammed on the ground. There's probably a dent still in that field. <laughs> Lots of pain and stars, and pure joy. I'd done spent all my mad money, so I couldn't afford to jump again. And I ain't jumped since. Can't say it's not a little bit, because nowadays I'd have to jump tandem. And I'm a tad bit funny about having a guy strapped to my back but maybe a lady instructor wouldn't be so bad. Well, that's my tale. It's as true as memory lets it be, and I remember the sky bluer every time I tell it. <laughs> Y'all keep the wheels down and the rudder up, and remember how lucky we are to see the world from above the clouds. Still got that cold chocolate yoo-hoo in the icebox waiting for you. Mom and him say hi. Genki out. Uh, thank you, Genki. Wow. That's a good story. That was very poetic. <laughs> yeah. I love the description of the parachute landing fall. Exactly. I was going to say, it that sounds like a the PLFs that uh, <laughs> I did uh, yeah, when I was uh, in uh, the Air Force. Mm -hmm. They haven't changed. Still the same. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, glad you got to do it, Genki. And um, yeah, think about a tandem jump. I think you'd enjoy it, even if it was is with a uh, a guy instructor. But there's a couple ladies out there. Who are tandem instructors as well. Find you a cute girl. <laughs> <laughs> a cute little filly. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Thank you very much, uh, Genki, 
What's his last name? Farkenwickle or something? Farkenwickle. Farkenwickle. Like <laughs> didn't write it down this time. So I can't <laughs> yeah, I'm looking for it. Farkenwickle. Ginky F. <laughs> yeah. Oklahoma version of Plain Tales. Uh, Tim Van Ram says Oklahoma version of Plain Tales. That's right. It's a shortened uh, version of uh, the Plain Tales from uh, the Oklahoma Prairie. I, I love all the the metaphors and similes in there that all mm-hmm. seem to revolve around animals. I think yeah. my favorite was nutty as a squirrel's turd. Yeah, that was yeah. a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, you just like you, that just brings that picture right into your. It's, it's a yeah. it's a visual. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not a good one. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Kinky. Yeah, thank you. All right, uh, let's let's move the thing on. Uh, Mike has a question. He said, "I'm sure this has been discussed, but help me understand the decoding of the route flights take." It looks like there are choices for point A to P, uh, A to B. Does the pilot choose this? How do they file the flight plan? Example below. And so uh, it's kind of a fuzzy uh, picture that he included. Uh, I think he was uh, doing this on uh, on Facebook. Um, but essentially, it's like what you can pull up on uh, FlightAware or uh, several different uh, sites that you can uh, gain information or access information on uh, airplanes and their proposed uh, routes of flight, uh, flight plans. And uh, I think if I understand Mike's question uh, correctly, um, it's, he's wondering how is it that we, these, these uh, flight routes are chosen and it really depends. Now in Steph's world, if she were to fly an IFR flight, it would be her. She would decide. I pick it. Well, actually, yeah. in reality, um, you can just enter what you want to do into ForeFlight, and it will come up with some suggestions. Uh-huh. And if it looks, and it will come up with suggestions that have recently been accepted as well. If it's between two points that other pilots have flown, um, so that way you won't get a whole bunch of. Um, we've changed all of it, so we gotta you gotta copy yeah, it all down differently. ATC hmm? preferred routings. Correct. Yeah, but you um, can choose it to to a great extent. Mm-hmm. Nick, uh, you do your own flight planning, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, you're flying mostly VFR, right? So right. you really don't have to file uh, this kind of a detailed flight Correct. plan, right? Yeah. Yep. In my world, uh, we now in the Air Force, um, pilots would, now I don't know if this is still true or not, we would file our own flight plan routings and uh, submit them to the, uh, and as uh, Steph mentioned, if it wasn't something that met with their satisfaction, they would correct it and put you on a routing that uh, was uh, they preferred. Uh, in the world that I'm in now and have been for the last 33 years, we have dispatchers that uh, that's their job or one of many jobs that they have is to look at you know the flight segment from A to B and where the weather is and what the winds are and all these different things. And then they have several different routings that they can choose. And there are certain ones that are the uh, air traffic control ATC preferred routings. Uh, but um, there are cases when they uh, can uh, deviate from those uh, to take advantage of more favorable winds and maybe avoid weather. And sometimes even ATC will have a routing that is not their normal preferred routing, but because of the, uh, the national airspace system, they would rather you do this because they know that if you use the normal routing, you're going to run into trouble and have to deviate, and it's just going to cause a problem for everyone. Um, so, uh, so when I show up for my flight, um, the 
uh, gate agent usually hands me a bunch of paper that has the uh, flight plan all printed out on it uh, via old dot matrix <laughs> printers, believe it or not. And um, we also have uh, an electronic version of the flight plan uh, available to us as well that we can call up. And um, as I said, it's it's been already chosen and decided upon. Now, what we will do as pilots, we'll look at it and go, yeah, that makes sense. That's We can do that. Or I might look at it and go, you know, that flight plan routing that you just sent me or filed for me uh, is taking us right through some weather that I don't want to have anything to do with. So I propose that we alter our flight plan. And if air traffic control approves, then you can get cleared that uh, new reading. But you also have to consider, you know, how much extra fuel you might burn in that new reading and uh, make the appropriate adjustments for that. There's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes as far as flight planning, fuel planning, that kind of thing. Um, Most of the stuff in that that routing, those are different fixes um, along the way. The stuff at the very beginning and the end are generally the... Um, uh, the departure and then the arrival um, that are um, assigned or or chosen. So you can see that in flight rate or flight aware. And it's it's a very um, flexible uh, thing as well because you might you know set off going to from Atlanta to Dallas and be on a certain routing and a certain arrival going into let's say Dallas Love Field. And then in route, you know, the weather may have done something that nobody really expected it to do. And then they'll say, okay, we have a revision to your flight routing, you know, advise when ready to copy. And then you get your pen out. Or if you're like, like me, I'll just say, I'm flying. I'm too busy flying. I can't, I can't write that down. No, I'm I just can't. <laughs> guy I can't write anything. I'm flying. <laughs> I'm flying. Oak, okay. Okay. November Romeo. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, so yeah, you, unless you, it's, unless it's direct Dallas and then you're like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah I can do that. Yeah. But, uh, then you, you know, say, okay, instead now we want you to fly to this fix and then, you know, fly the, you know, this other arrival and to avoid weather or sometimes it's not even weather. It's, uh, like just balancing the traffic. flow of traffic going into some of these big metropolitan airports. Um, so that, that happens from time to time. And so, as I said, it's a very dynamic, flexible environment that you have to, uh, you know, be ready to make changes and accept changes and understand the implications of those changes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you're a instrument rated pilot and you're on your own, then you're the one, as Steph said, uh, Steph's the one that decides what routing to take. And do you, is there like a published um, uh, set of, routings from point A to point B stuff that you can look at and say, this is what they're probably going to give me or not really. You just, I mean, unless no? someone's going to write in and correct me, but, um, I, yeah. So I, I think, uh, for flight and Garmin pilot have started. It's, it's not, it's not, those. it's not an official publication. Um, right. that's what I was kind of hinting at that when you put in, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, the, it basically has a flight planning tool. So you put in, correct. I'm going to go from here, you know, say I want to go from Charlotte to Atlanta, not a super long flight, but, you know, it might come back with three different fixes and, you know, based on what altitudes you want to go at, um, you know, and it'll try and take into account what your winds are and, and um, try to make it efficient for you. Um, but because that's a pretty common route, um, at least between those two cities, um, that request uh, for that clearance request gets um, – 
uh, submitted quite frequently throughout the day, and it will tell you the ones that have been most recently accepted and cleared and at which altitude. So, um, you know, when you're putting it in, that that's something that's that's been okayed recently, and it's more likely to be approved so that when you call up for your clearance, you don't get, uh, you know, an entire stream of directions. You can just get cleared as filed, most likely. And that's a lot easier to manage. Yeah. More efficient. Absolutely. Very good. So I hope that answers your question, Mike. Uh, so it really depends, I guess, is the answer. It depends on, you know, what kind of flying you're doing and you wear depends flying for no i don't wear depends liz <laughs> not yet anyway <laughs> um yeah I'm, I'm all i'm all good in that department so let's uh let's continue with uh, item 11 and this is from ahmad uh in uh in nigeria i believe yeah um abuja yeah um and he says, hello, Captain Jeff. And he's been a long time listener and and uh, supporter contributor. and uh, yeah. contributor uh, to our show. And uh, he says, hello, Captain Jeff. Please find attached my audio feedback. The tiny video clip also attached isn't really important, but you can share it if you want. Uh, that was made seconds after the audio clip when it was briefly safe to do so. Low speed, predictable flow of traffic for these few seconds. He was in a car, by the way. Uh, I strongly recommend that folks don't try this unless they've been honing their evasive driving reflexes daily for a decade or two. Since I started driving in 1994, I've been using left foot for brake, right foot for gas with overlapping inputs from uh, both uh, for laser, razor, sharp input timing. Sounds like he's a uh, an F1, Formula One driver. Uh, <laughs> Please don't mind my yapping above. I'm also a motoring maintenance, safety, and performance geek. Cheers to you all, Ahmad. And he sent this from his Samsung Galaxy smartphone. And uh, using that device, he recorded some audio feedback. So let's take a listen to what he has to say. Hello, APGers. Good morning from my end of the globe and happy Gregorian New Year to all of you. I'm, you might notice from the background noise and my shaky voice that I'm actually driving through traffic on my way to work. And I'm trying to keep my eyes on all of the traffic around me so I don't have any conflicts. I don't have TCAS to guide me. Um, I just want to ask Captain Nick when uh, did you ever know or observe or suspect that you were a good storyteller? I mean, during your career as a pilot, fighter pilot, and airline pilot, when did you ever discover or notice that you're good at storytelling? I'm asking because from my angle as a listener, man, you certainly have a knack for telling stories. You do it as if you've been doing it for decades, as if it's been your career or something. I really love the plain tales. It's great. You tell these stories so well. Just keep up the good work. And Captain Jeff, Captain Dana, Captain Rick, Captain Steph. Uh-oh, excuse me. That's Dr. Steph. Happy New Gregorian Year to all of you. Wishing you all the best. This is Ahmad Danhamidu from Abuja, 
over and out. Thank you, Ahmad, for that uh, wonderful feedback. And uh, this was primarily addressed to Captain Nick, who's not with us today, but... From his hospital bed. Fear not, from his hospital bed, Captain Nick did respond to Ahmad. And this is it right here. Oh, hi, Ahmed. It's uh, Captain Nick here. Uh, thank you very much indeed for your lovely feedback. Um, it was really nice to hear your words. And uh, actually, since I'm recording this from hospital, I can honestly say it made me feel an awful lot better. And uh, know that you uh, appreciate my tales. Um, the answer to your question is I had no idea that I could uh, tell tales in a way that would actually interest people. I assumed it was always the captain's duty to bore their first officers rigid with stories of their daring do in a previous life and that they were usually so polite that they would never complain about them. Um, so that's the way I sort of uh, adopted it. It was purely by accident that uh, I started um, um, thinking of things to put on the show uh, with you know, the idea of uh, entertaining. And uh, it actually um, has been through people like uh, Radio Roger and uh, Main Man Micah and Jeff, of course, uh, and their coaching that enabled me to um, perhaps uh, talk in a way that's uh, more interesting. My wife hated listening to me doing my recordings in the early days. I don't think she minds quite so much now, but have uh, helped me to develop into someone who at least can project their voice in an interesting way. As for the stories themselves, well, I've always had an enormous interest in every aspect of aviation, uh, but particularly uh, those who flew before us, uh, their stories are always so interesting. I find them fascinating, and I think, at least I hope, that that uh, interest comes across. Um, a quick update from me. I'm, I'm currently still in the hospital. I don't know when the show is going to be this week. Uh, um, I think Liz is deliberately keeping me in the dark, so I don't worry about trying to get out <laughs> in time to be on it. But... Um, I uh, am feeling a lot better. Um, the heart issue is more or less resolved, but I still have some precautionary uh, tests to go through before they release me. And very sadly, whilst I've been in the hospital, I've managed to contract the dreaded COVID. Uh, and uh, so um, it's going to be a matter of going home and isolating anyway, which is not much fun. But there you go. Anyway, thanks very much again for your feedback. And uh, I hope I'm on the show uh, to uh, listen to me talk to myself, uh, which should be always be interesting. I, and I hope um, that I'll be able to get a plane tail out in time. I've certainly got one in mind. It'll just take a little bit of uh, research before I can do it, something I haven't had a chance to do while I've been here. Thanks very much. All the best. All right. Good to hear from you, Captain Nick. And uh, Ahmad, a great um audio feedback and uh, uh, we look forward to seeing you again soon captain nick hopefully mm -hmm. next week glad things are improving yeah <laughs> yep all right okay uh let's see liz told me she had a 12 a 12? 12 okay thank you oh i didn't know you were back um 
Let's see, going to 12, which is the very next one. Um, oh, feedback from Dan. He says, I can't believe I can listen for three hours. <laughs> Hi, all. I've been listening for two years now, and I really enjoy the show. I have to admit, I put it off for a while as I thought there was no way I could listen to a podcast for three plus hours. But here I am doing it. Although I do not feel like I have the syndrome as I have not found the time to get through all previous episodes. I had originally earned my PPL in 2000 at 18 years old, then took a 16-year break for other things in life. In 2018, I took a flight review and have since earned my instrument, commercial ratings, single and multi, and recently my CFI. I hope to have my CFII completed in a few weeks. Uh, February 10th is my check ride. My family and I currently enjoy getting around in our bonanza and I'm excited for a new to me Piper PA-12 Super Cruiser. It's a sim it's similar to a Super Cub. I know that some... airplane. Have you? Did my did my seaplane uh, rating? Ah, uh, yeah. on Super mm -hmm. Neat. Uh, he's going to do that for some low and slow flying. I'm not sure I will ever make a living flying. However, I sure enjoy it as a hobby, and I hope to be able to give back through instructing part time in the area. During my recent check ride and training, I was amazed how often I reference podcasts I'd listened to. I find yours and others very informative and helpful. I truly believe they have aided me in being a safer pilot. There is some excellent content out there in podcast land, and I certainly promote it to every uh, or to it about every pilot I run into. Thanks for all you do, and congratulations on 500 episodes. Well, thank you. Uh, if there is anyone listening who is on the fence about getting back into flying or even starting fresh later in life, I would recommend taking the plunge and doing it. I doubt they will have any regrets, as I certainly have not. Stay well and always keep learning. And again, that's Dan from Vermont, a beautiful state. Dan, are you saying that we're later in life here? Um, if you were 18 and 2000, we're the same age. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he's saying, Steph. <laughs> he is saying that we're just getting old. Uh, but I agree with you 100%. And I would say that we're not that old. And if you're thinking about it, go go get current again or jump into it for the first time. There's no reason to to think that you're too old to start flying or get back into it. Absolutely. Anything to add to that, Nick? Nope. Okay. Uh, the Super Cruiser is a cool airplane, and obviously the Bonanza. Yeah. So mm -hmm. yeah, I know you're. A... I'm, I'm very much on board with what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Definitely low and slow in the the Super Cruiser is a great plane to uh, fly on floats as well. I don't think we ever got above uh, 500 feet AGL for um, float plane training, so it's perfect. And yeah, why would you? One cool There's thing no about super... to, you're just learning to do everything yeah. on the water. <laughs> yeah. One cool thing about Super Cruiser is it's like a perfect uh, entry airplane for a young family because you can actually put two people in the back seat. They have to be little. But... Very small, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like a, a adult and a child, small child can sit in the back seat. Very good. Um, this is from uh, Texas Charlie. Genki. Florida. Genki. <laughs> Genki's friend. Uh, as a captain, what would you do? Howdy, y'all. I hope the new year is treating everyone well. The attached article is about an incident where a flight attendant, at minimum, uh, allegedly disregarded his duties. As a restaurant manager, if I found an employee sitting with a girlfriend or boyfriend while on the clock, at a minim minimum, I would send that employee home. 
If that employee was disturbing diners, his or her employment would be in serious jeopardy. But I work in an ununionized industry. What would you do if this sort of behavior was brought to your attention during a flight? He says, keep the greasy side down and the shiny side up. Adios, Texas Charlie. And this article from liveandletsfly.com, a blog. And uh, let's see. A, a re, uh, so according to the blog, a reader who whom I trust shared the following story with me. On January 11th, onboard American Airlines flight 5597 from Washington, D.C. to Tallahassee. Actually, it was a company that uh, was flying for American Airlines, not actually American Airlines. Uh, I was seated in a mostly empty domestic first class section. There were two male flight attendants servicing this leg. I think he's talking about the flight. Uh, shortly after takeoff, uh, the uh, taller of the two flight attendants approached the flight attendant in the first class cabin and spoke to him. Immediately after they spoke, the taller flight attendant waved a girl from the coach section to come up to first class. She seated herself at the window seat on the two-seat side of the plane. Shortly thereafter, not long after beverage service was completed, the taller flight attendant took the seat beside her. I attempted to sleep on this 90-minute flight, but soon found that impossible. The flight attendant and this woman were looking at photos on their phones and carrying on hysterically for nearly the entire course of the flight. The flight attendant neglected whatever duties he may have had to carry on with uh, this woman until approximately 20 minutes before we landed. What disturbed me most was the coach section was quite empty as well. If they wanted to engage in these activities, why didn't they go to the back of the plane? Instead, the flight attendant chose an area of the plane where people pay for a premium experience. As I exited the airport, I was wondering if I was making too much of this in my mind. But as I was leaving, the woman who was seated in front of this couple grabbed my arm and asked me if I was upset as she was at their behavior. I thanked her for validating my feelings. I will point out that this is not the normal experience I've enjoyed from American Airlines over the years, but there does appear to be a recent downward trend. And then... Uh, the writer of the blog says, pretty damning, isn't it? Doesn't matter how empty the flight was. There's no excuse for this behavior. The flight was operated by PSA Airlines, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of American Airlines. While not mainline, this was still an American Airlines flight attendant, in quotes. I write about this not to denigrate that many hardworking flight attendants at American Airlines or PSA. Rather, I share this story so that flight attendants like this are rooted out and held accountable. To the flight attendant... American Airlines does not pay you to sit down in first class and chat with your girlfriend during the flight. Those onboard upgrades are also unauthorized. Did you think no one would notice? To everyone, so many negative stories about American Airlines lately, and most of them, it seems to me, are unforced errors. I'm not anti-American Airlines. I generally enjoy American Airlines, and I think that the carrier has great potential to, to improve in so many areas. I look forward to seeing what Robert, uh, is it Isom, will do to put his mark on AA. But one thing that must be done for consumer confidence to be restored is to root out flight attendants like this. They have no business wearing a, an AA uniform. So uh, so what do you all think, I guess, is uh, what Texas Charlie saying, is As asking. a captain, how would you deal with it? So oh, as a captain, captain, how would I deal with this? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think yeah. in this case that the captain knew. They probably didn't know anything about it. Um, right. You know, how would they know what was But really what if you did? What if he did know? What if he did? I mean, you would have to take the uh, flight attendant aside after all of pa- all the passengers have deplaned, and you know, somewhere in a 
kind of a private area or setting so as not to, you know, uh, shame them and, and, uh, you know, whatever, you know, make them feel embarrassed in front of others. But, uh, I mean, that's what I would do. And I would talk to them and, and tell them that that was an unacceptable behavior. And what they did was not allowed as far as doing a spontaneous, you know, passenger upgrade. Um, Is there a, uh, uh, I know for, for pilots, there's a lot of times companies have professional standards, departments, things like that. I wonder if something similar exists for flight attendants, and that would probably be the appropriate route to address that with, um, because um, these large airlines, um, you know, they've got a lot of employees. So, um, you know, the folks that they are hiring are skilled, well-trained, and certainly know their roles and expectations. Um, but it's a lot of people still. And, um, you know, it's it's hard to make sure everyone's doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing all the time. And people can be motivated by external factors such as this when their um, boyfriend, girlfriend is on board. And um, yeah, you can take that to the appropriate channels and, and make sure that it's dealt with in a professional way as well. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what stood out to me too, is that if you think, think about like how many um, flight attendants are, are working on a daily basis on American Airlines air, uh, branded air, airplanes, right? Whether it's a subsidiary or a, a co-chair or whatever. Um, and, and I think about like all of the positives or advantages we've got out of um, modern media, main, you know, mainstream media and social media, uh, a lot of times when you have an issue, you can get it resolved significantly faster because of the power of, of social media. But I also look at something like this and it's um, like, I, I agree with Texas Charlie, there's clearly something going wrong here, but you know, you talk about this vast um, population of employees and uh, it's very easy to single them, single them out or to, to kind of lump them into one, one group or, um, yeah, certainly not, I, I would not condoning, be, condoning this particular flight attendants or pair of flight attendants actions or, and behavior right. certainly wasn't professional, but you don't hear a lot about the, the good things the good that happen. <laughs> no one right. takes to and, social media to be like, I had this amazing experience to share with and, you. And I, I think it, you know, the other thing it goes to is, is the other guy, right? Like, like you were saying, Steph, there's so many, so many employees. It, it's really hard to make sure that you have, uh, good employees. And it's not like an office job where you've got like layers of management that can, that are directly interacting with these people. It's really up to, you know, the employees to self-police and it, you know, especially on a small airplane with two of them, it's really easy for one, you know, one, uh, man or woman to be skirting the rules or stretching the boundaries. And it's, you know, it's really kind of up to, the yeah. employees self-policing each other when the pool is that large um you know there's going to be some excellent um employees and maybe some not so excellent ones yep and we have to uh and we have to be fair uh this could have been any of the major air or, or even mm-hmm. non-major sure, it's not, it's not specific this to just this happened airline. to be in this story yeah. this yeah. and i hated to say that airline's name over and over and again because there are a lot of outstanding and amazing employees for this company and 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 Again, it was a subsidiary, uh, you know, a PSA. Uh, but still, I'm sure that 99% of or more of these employees um, that do their jobs very well and professionally. And it's just sad that, you know, one of them, you know, kind of made it. One of them a, did not. And that's what yeah. makes the, the headlines. 
Right. I think you know? Tom is familiar with this airline, and he's and a captain on it. Tom CRJ's. is a captain on, um, I don't know what airline, but uh, he says this story, unfortunately, is very believable. Sorry to hear about this experience. Yeah, again, you know, this could have easily have been any any airline out there. Uh, it, we, you know, probably should have just kept it generic, uh, but um, it's just uh, it's more not really about the airline itself. It's more about the character of this per- particular person. I think exactly, yeah, and I think it actually is. You know, just the um, it's interesting what Nick said about the power of social media to get things resolved. So certainly, if you have an issue and you want something to be addressed, um, that's a good channel to have things happen quickly. Um, I, it kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way, though, when they continue to needle the company over and over and over again, mm-hmm. because as mm-hmm. you mentioned, it's not this particular company at fault. It's this one person. Right. So, yeah. 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 And one of, and one of the downfalls of um, the large airlines, right, running having their name on airplanes they're not even operating. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a risk, I, a risk they uh, run, I suppose. You know, I remember it wasn't that long ago when you'd, uh, you know, fly on an Acme subsidiary or whatever you want to call it, um, affiliated regional mm-hmm. airline. It was, it, it wasn't, um, I mean, you knew it was affiliated with the big major airline, but you, uh, you knew it was the regional airline because that's the way they branded everything. But I just recently flew two flights on my personal trip, uh, non-revenue travel. And I, I'm thinking, well, there's no wonder that people think that they're on that major brand because mm-hmm. everything, yep. they, the uniforms are exact, the paint jobs, everything they say. You were say even is, able to get the major brands beer on this yeah. subsidiary yeah. airline. I know. Right? It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it's so, it, so you have to, as the major airline, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. So if you get a, have a great experience, that's great for the major affiliated airline. If you have a not so great experience, well, you just have to suck it up and, and just understand that this is part of the, part of the deal. You know, if you're going to yep. make everything look like it's your airline, then you better try to instill that kind of, you know, the experience that you want the passengers to have, you know, make it a seamless, you know, top notch uh, premium experience as much as possible. So hey, I've got some flights coming up. Maybe I'll make a point to um, share the good things on the social yeah. feeds, make it a more positive space for all of us. Yeah, it's so easy to to share all the negative stuff on on the social meds, isn't it? it really, and, is. uh, it's hard sometimes to take the time to kind of or emphasize yeah, the or nice. anything. I, I always find myself much more apt to like write a review of something I've bought if it didn't work out, and if it worked out like I thought. I don't don't think of it as often. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Care to leave a review? Nah, it's working fine. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That, I guess it's human nature, I guess. All right. And uh, finally, we're going to end with this. Uh, Jeremy sent this in. Actually, he sent this in uh, not too long before we started recording today's show. Uh, he says, hi, Jeff and the APG crew. I just wanted to send you an email to let you know how deeply APG has helped me through the last year. I discovered your podcast when I was looking to listen to something aviation while at work. I had just finished Airframe by Michael Crichton, and your show was the first on my Spotify search. It was episode 467, and I was hooked. A little backstory. When I was younger, my father worked for Northwest Airlines as a ramp worker. I was driving the tugs and throwing the planes at six, seven years old in the early 90s. I grew up around planes, and I enjoy everything about them. Around the time of episode 467, 
My mother was very sick with terminal cancer. I couldn't see her as often as I could due to COVID running rampant and her compromised status. Besides my wife, my mother was the world to me. She passed away on February 13th, and I miss her terribly. It's almost been a year. Your show helped me, and still does, through one of the toughest times of my life, and I will always be thankful for that. I just recently started chiming in on the live shows, and I hope I don't talk too much. <laughs> no, uh, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, I was pleased as punch when you guys picked my suggestion for Tequila Tower. I screenshotted it and showed it to my wife, and she was happy for me. Thank you, Captain Jeff, and thank you to the fabulous crew for what you do. Warmest regards, Jeremy. So thank you so much, Jeremy, for that wonderful note. And uh, I'm glad that uh, you were there, or we were there, to help you through that very difficult time in your life. That really means a lot to us. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, that positive as well. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. That's going to end it for today's show on an up note. And uh, we're now going to point you over toward the airline pilot website, which has all kinds of good stuff on it. Uh, information about the crew and the community and, community calendar and the APG library and information about merch. If you want to wear some APG merch and, uh, we have, um, coffee fund information if you want to support us financially and, uh, and so much more. And we're also, uh, on, cause we have to be, of course, in this day and time on the social media, social. Hey, uh, we're there media. complaining and you can complain to us too. Uh, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, only good things. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. Uh, hey, yeah. <laughs> uh, definitely join us there though. We're on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash airline pilot guy, Twitter. We are at APG crew and our individual Twitter handles are pinned to the top of that page. If you want to interact with us one-on-one. And um, I still haven't put any of the artwork up on, uh, uh, shared <laughs> it busy. on our APG crew Instagram. And, um, uh, you know, working through a bunch of New Year's resolutions, that's one of them. I'll get to it. Maybe. Next year. <laughs> okay. Maybe. <laughs> um, no maybe. Maybe. But uh, we'll, we'll hand it over to Hillel if he's made it up to your cold cabin up there and see I don't if know. he's I, I got information on Slack. I think I see some uh, activity over there. Let me see. Uh-oh. Um, is that the rain? Could you? Is that the rain? Uh, oh yeah, Delta P. Uh, <laughs> we're we're still doing the show, Hillel. Uh, and next time, close the door, if you don't mind. Uh, okay, can you? All right, zip it up. Come on over here. All right, tell us about Slack, if you don't mind. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Hillel. Uh, now you can go back and uh, whatever. Uh, thank you, TMI. All right. <laughs> he has and, all kinds uh, of sharing tonight. <laughs> I have lots of sharing. 
And we also want to uh, share our gratitude to our wonderful producer-director, Liz. Hey, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, you're, I mean, you you wouldn't believe how much work uh, Liz does in the background. You're just, uh, we couldn't do the show without her. Thank you very much. And My pleasure. Finally, we'd like to, whoops. Wow, the crowd is just going crazy. You're going wild. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, until next time, wishing you all clear skies and limited visibility and talons, Douglas. (laughs) Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the airline pilot guy. Good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly Omega Airline pilot guy He can land in heavy fall I'm not 